up, guys? This is Shiragam, and I want to welcome you to episode 39 of the Hashishin, brought to you by Rosin Evolution, who you can visit at rosinevolution.com. As always, thank you for tuning in. On today's episode, you'll get to hear from Curtis, aka Curtis Terps, who talks to us about the pros and cons of growing and processing in his condo. He tells us a bit about his professional career as a graphic designer and how that's influenced his hash designs, as well as his first ever pheno hunt and much more. So definitely stay tuned for that. A big shout out to our Patreon community and every person that makes it up. They are the driving force behind this project and we wouldn't be able to keep bringing you episodes without them. So thank you again. If you would ever like to support the podcast or grab the same t-shirt that all guests receive, then visit us at patreon.com backslash the hashishin. That's the hashish I-N-N. You can also use the link on our Instagram bio at the hashishin or from our new website thehashishin.com shout out to our awesome sponsors including our main sponsor rosin evolution the best bags in the game who again you can visit at rosinevolution.com where you can find everything that you need to make rosin including their high quality durable reliable rosin bags as well as the best deal in hash their full mesh wash bags made of the same high grade material as their rosin bags which are trusted by many of the top hash makers out there so if you're washing hash or pressing it grab all the gear that you need while receiving the best customer service in the game on instagram at rosin evolution 100 on their website rosinevolution.com and if you like to save money while supporting the podcast Use our discount code, the letters THI, the number 710, that's THI710. Altogether, it saves you 5% at rosinevolution.com. Shout out to our homies and sponsors, Powers Plates, the small batch rosin press company, who you can visit at powersplates.com, home of the highest grade plates on the market. Each unit is assembled and tested one by one by Scott in his garage in Portland using the highest quality components that he can source because he wants to provide you the best experience and piece of equipment that he can because he is a passionate cultivator and hash maker himself. So his gear is made for those that are looking to use the highest quality tools for their craft. They keep making small drops and you guys keep selling them out. So on behalf of the guys at Powers Plates, Thank you for all the support. If you've been waiting for the newest drop, it's coming within the next few weeks, so keep your eyes peeled. So again, if you're in the market for a rosin press, specifically the highest grade rosin press on the market, go grab your favorite hash maker's favorite hash maker's press at powersplates.com or on Instagram at powersplates and save $75 off any of their rosin systems by using our exclusive savings code, the letters THI. Again, THI saves you $75 at powersplates.com. Shout out to Six Star Society, your solventless apparel company, who you can visit at sixstarsociety.com, where you can check out all their cool gear to show your love for the resin, including their newest limited edition collaboration with Trappist Design, combining his epic tie-dyeing with their NASA-inspired hash line to create the spaced-out long-sleeve tee, which, like I said, are limited, so go grab yours now. And as you would expect from a company called Six Star Society, 
All their gear is top notch. So visit them on Instagram at the number six underscore star underscore society and save 5% off your entire order by using our savings code, the letters T-H-I at sixstarsociety.com. And last but never least, we want to thank our newest sponsor, Rocky Mountain Seed Bank, who you can visit at rockymountainhigh719.org, where you can find a great selection of genetics that you can feel excited about hunting through your garden to find that unique keeper that you've been looking for. They carry reputable breeders like Pheno Addicts, who he just did a collab with, the Holy Schnikes, which is a strawberry pie crossed to his Bebecita, and plenty of great hash gear in all the Bloom Seed Co. slash Harry Palms gear, including various of their collabs with Boston Roots. And because you guys have shown Rocky so much love already as a sponsor of the Hashishin, he's decided to keep 25% off for all Hashishin listeners by using our discount code, the letters T-H-I, standing for the Hashish Inn. Again, save a quarter of the price of all your seats at Rocky Mountain High 719.org by using the letters T-H-I. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to episode 39 of the Hashishin. I'm your host, Shirag Mamir. Today, I'm excited to be here with Curtis, better known as Curtis Terps. You can follow him at Curtis Terps, or on his personal account, Curtis underscore Linden. What's up, man? How are you? What's up, Charlie? How are you doing? I'm doing good, dude. Thank you for having me over. And yeah, so welcome to the Condo Grow. Yeah, it's funny, dude. It's like Instagram turning into reality, coming in here. And uh, it's for, for the few that have been here, it's always funny for them to see what, they, what it actually feels like in here. Well, I appreciate you having me over, man. And yeah, I appreciate the chicken tenders and the dabs and... My pleasure. It's been fun, man. Yeah. My pleasure. So let's talk about the condo because you brought it up. Like that's where you do all your stuff. Yeah, this is uh, what's become like my main passion right now is just growing cannabis and making hash. And it started just in my bedroom and I had a roommate. And uh, eventually he was like, I can tell you're going pretty hard with this. Maybe I should just move out of here and <laughs> leave this room to you. And, I, and so I, I took it and ran. And uh, so that's what I get going on now. I have like, I have two tents going and I might, might start using a little third one, but yeah, I have one bedroom dedicated to the four by eight tent and I have another little veg tent in my bedroom in the corner. Yeah. So I'm curious what your roommate moving out and being able to have that extra space has allowed you to do. So it allowed me to do this pheno hunt that I just, I so I'm first time ever doing a pheno hunt. And uh, as a hobby grower, it's just not really something you typically do. I think, you know, I'm not from, I'm in LA right now, but I'm not from out here. And um, a lot, you can like go to nurseries and get clone cuts here. Like I didn't even realize that, you know, if you wanted to get a specific cut, you could do that. But for most people, you can't do that. And so uh, I've been able to pop these seeds and do a pheno hunt and use the extra space to keep clones of the ones that I'm flowering and waiting to make hash and, finally figure out which one's the best. And so without all the room, I wouldn't have been able to do that. And so before doing the pheno hunt, were you working from cuts or? Yes. Yes. So one of the biggest parts of me getting, getting to where I am now is Dustin from Real Deal Resin. He gave me some cuts, chem B cuts when I first moved down into uh, LA to the city. And he just saw 
my tent setup, I posted it being like, Hey, I'm doing a condo grow. And he said, dude, I got some cuts. You should take them. And I didn't even know him at the time. Just took a chance on it. And yeah, so I had that really good hash hashing strain just to start me off. I bought the freeze dryer, had to wait 15 weeks for that. So it wasn't until maybe six or seven months after I got those cuts that I actually finally washed it. And that's when I started my page. Interesting, man. Yeah. So you and him have kind of funny relationship. You were telling me earlier, you are a designer. Like, so like you said, you're a hobbyist, right? This is something that you're real passionate about, but your paying gig is you're like a creative designer or creative director. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm a graphic designer by education and through uh, my role at Chalkline, which is a licensed apparel company. I've grown to now, now I'm just like creative director or I'm coming up with whole collections and giving them off to other people and stuff like that and still doing designs as well. But it all started because that company, Chalkline, originally was doing WWE merchandise, like old school stuff like Ultimate Warrior, Razor Ramon, Ted DiBiase, Stone Cold, all those guys and... I was just doing that. That was like the main, main gig. And I think uh, Dustin was just a fan of that because he's a fan of wrestling. And, uh, you know, Real Deal Resin, its roots were in doing old old wrestling right. uh, flips and stuff like that. So he was just following because he's part of that culture, that wrestling merch culture. And I also know that he is a fan of artists and he's, he really respects people who do creative work. And so he just because of that nature, he followed me, the designer of the brand. And so uh, by the time that I moved to, moved into Koreatown, he was like, dude, I have cuts. You should take these. And like I said, I didn't know him at the time, but I was like, I took a chance because I needed some hash washing cuts. I had just stopped growing um, purple Lamborghini and a Chinook Haze, which is sativa, and neither of them were good hashers. And I was like almost ready to quit. Like I maybe not even grow anymore because it's just, it's not easy. Growing's not easy. And uh, I didn't have the cuts. I didn't have the right strains. And I was so new. Still, still, I'm still obviously learning so much, but yeah, back then I knew even, you know, nothing. So, right. I owe a, owe a lot to him. He gave me that that one hashing cut it was so huge for me. Yeah, you said that that chem D really gave you kind of a jump start. To yes, be able to start actually hashing because I didn't even know about the ones that you had grown before. Yep, but not having the right genetics is obviously a big hurdle. So huge, and so because. I, want, I already knew that I wanted to invest in the freeze dryer because I had a friend who would do it for like 20%. You give him 20% of what you end up with and he'll do it for you. And I just, right away, I'm just like, man, this is going to add up. What, what about next time? That's another 20%. And so I knew that I just needed to get this freeze dryer because I tried air drying and it, it, I was up in the valley. It was real tough in the summer. And uh, it just without having the proper environment or, and maybe there's better tech out now that I don't know about. But I just wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I didn't have the time to figure that out or the, or the environment. So I knew I wanted to get a freeze dryer and knowing that I had cuts that were going to give me a certain percentage back that was reliable, that um, I could use the freeze dryer for was huge. Because if I had this freeze dryer, then I washed something and I had nothing, it would just be a, even more of a disaster. Right. So it was, it really, and, and because the resin was so clean and, and great, it allowed my page to have a little bit of momentum just out the gate because I had some clean, some like really good resin. So although the design brought you here, you said the cannabis has kept you here? Yes. Yeah, when we moved out, I moved out here with my best friends and my brother. And we were pursuing a, a clothing brand that we had started back when I was in college in 2011. 
it didn't end up working out for all for that. And um, we all kind of got regular jobs. And eventually my brother and my best friend, they moved back home to Massachusetts. And with my work, I can, I work remotely. So that's how, that's, that's one of the main reasons I'm able to do the condo grow is because I work, I live where I work. So, you know, I'm here most of the day. So if anything, if I ever had to do anything, sometimes I'll just work in the garden if I really gotta and not be in the office. Right. So I, I have that luxury, but being out here, I just didn't realize how the culture of cannabis would be so beneficial. Just everyone out here understands that people smoke weed and like back where I'm from, even though it's, it was decriminalized when I was there, but it's just like, it's decriminalized. You know, it's just like, it's, it means you're not a criminal anymore, but still people are like, you smoking weed, like you have to go hide it still. It doesn't mean you can just go be, a, you know, and in here you still kind of have to hide it. You don't really have to, but technically you're supposed to, but it's just an accepted thing here that, you know, through all the people, I started meeting friends who were into it. And I found out about the, the, the underground seshes where they like, people just set up. I, I used to come tell my friends about it. I'd be like, dude, I go to this weed flea market where you fucking go and there's <laughs> this plastic Rubbermaid tables and people would just sacks on top of it. And you just go around and do shopping. I'm like, this like, is just so crazy. I couldn't believe it. And, uh, and that's like, I don't even go to those anymore. And that's not why I'm staying, but it's just that because the, that's the, the understanding of this is, you know, people love cannabis. It's so welcoming here to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Your career as a, I don't know if you want to call it a career, but mm -hmm. your experience as a cultivator is still pretty young, right? Oh, You've yeah. been cultivating for a couple of years. Just now? like three. Yeah. Three years. And I still, I, I, I was telling you earlier, I still feel just like, I think most growers would probably say this anyway, that they still have so much to learn. But I especially have so much to learn. I, I, I'm not even in a half percentage of like knowing anything because uh, when I came up, I had my best friend, uh, George, the Husky Brusky. He gave me like the, the keys. He was like, this is how I grow. This is what I use to feed. This is how I do it. And he had already done all the research. And so I didn't have to do it. And then I never kind of did it. And so like I'm learning as I go now, but I basically was like, oh, just do this and I'll have the healthy plants. I was sweet. And so that's that was how I started. And um, I didn't start like doing the knowledge until later on. And, and as I wanted to refine it and, and understand why this is all happening. But yeah, I owe a lot to him too. I saw something on your YouTube, I think, where you said that in everything in life, you slowly graduate and you equated that to like your growing situation. You started a little smaller than where you're at now. And like we talked about at the beginning, you've expanded even that space now a little further. So you brought up a good point in talking about like what the purpose of these tents are within this space for you. Right. So when I first started growing in 2018, it was because a friend of mine had, it was like his to be like father-in-law had these plants that he was growing and he had too many past the legal limit. And it was his first time growing plants and he didn't even really smoke weed. He was just like, Oh, it's legal now. Maybe I'll grow some pot. And so he had too many plants. And so and like some of them were like Panama red, and I didn't even know it. And I would have kept the seeds if I had known. <laughs> and so he just gave them to me. I think he, I think I paid him like 20 bucks per plant or something. But right away, because of my like, I come from the East Coast. And outdoor weed to us out there is just not good. It's like you want indoor weed only. And so I was like, man, I'm going to be growing these plants outdoors. I, got, I had the foresight to understand that like I'm not going to be happy with these plants. A, because it's my first time growing. And it's because I'm growing outside and I've never, like, I just, my inner bias is telling me it's not going to be good. 
So I also, at the same time, was like, I'm going to start growing indoor too and do it at the same time. And so I started with a little, it's like, it's such a weird size tent. The tent is like two and like three quarters by like three and a half or four feet or something like that. It's a very obscure size. <laughs> That's what I started with. I put two plants, uh, four plants in there. It was like a Girl Scout cookies. They were all bag seed from dispensaries that had those Girl Scout cookies and London pound cake. And they, and I had four seeds and they were all female. It was pretty cool. So these are like genetics that you bought from. Yeah. So like, yeah. So I had, I had, a, I bought some Girl Scout cookies as just to smoke. And then there was a seed in the, and I kept it. I think it's funny because I think a lot of us do that. Just like regular weed smokers, you find a seed in a, in, in weed that you really like. And you're like, oh, I'm going to keep this. Just like, even though you have no intention of growing, you keep it because you just know that, that, that there's something there. And so I was like, oh, I have these seeds. Maybe I'll just use those. I just had four of them in a little, in a little bag that I had just kept for the past year. And, um, and I didn't know about, and I remember being upset because I didn't understand cloning. And so I, after that was gone and I realized I didn't have it anymore, I was like, oh, well, that sucks. I have to like pop these new <laughs> seeds. And that was the, that was the, the next seeds I popped was the purple Lamborghini and Chinook Haze. And I grew them like three, potentially four times. I think maybe at least three times. And I kept growing it because I was like, well, maybe I just need to get better at growing this. And, maybe, and, and they just weren't the right strains. And I didn't know it. You know, and I, didn't, and I just didn't. I think I just kept popping seeds too. I didn't think I actually would making clones, or if I did, they were no. I actually did do clones. I did do clones, and they. I've always been really bad at it. That's why I started using a machine recently, and that's been the, such a huge key for me. Well, tell us a little bit about the machine. Yeah. So, so yeah, because I you know, the thing is I've had to learn how to do every single part of this process, and not to say I've done it on my own, but you still have to do it, and you got to do all of it. Right. And and the cloning I used to do. You know, you cut it at a 45 degree angle, you put it in some Clonex, and then you put it into, I used Rockwell cubes. Those little, if you've ever seen the little sand colored, like little cubes. And you put it in a dome, a tray with a dome with a light on top of it. And you have to like, every day you got to pull the thing off and do this and do this. It's like, there's so many little things you're supposed to be doing. And I did them all. And I never got the, the results that everyone was always showing online. And, but I, but I was able to get them, keep them alive. So like the plants are resilient. They'll, you know, encourage people not to be discouraged even though I was at one point uh they just they keep growing and so eventually I people kept telling me about this cloning machine on, on my Instagram because I was telling people about my troubles and now it's so easy you just you you cut it I, I still put it in some a uh, little bit of clone gel even though it kind of get washed off anyway and I put it in this machine that has a sprayer underneath it imagine just a Tupperware a big storage bin with holes cut out in the top and it, through the holes are a little a plant stem and, under, and inside the storage bin is a mister. And it's just misting the bottom of those stems, keeping them moist. And over the course of like seven to 14 days, you get roots coming out of them. And then you just plant those. And that was a key to my pheno hunt because without those, I was able to like leave it in that machine and just keep changing the water when I was busy doing other stuff. And then eventually plant them like, it was just, it was really helpful. I didn't have to monitor them as much as you would if you had rock wool. Yeah, so that's interesting that you actually got the feedback from social media. Yes, yes. I, I, I've learned so much. I think, I mean, a lot of us who, who do this as a hobby learn from people on Instagram. But I've been really lucky because through the people who follow me, I've gotten advice from, like, people who do this for real on, like, on a full-time level and have been doing it for a lot longer than I have. And so they uh, encourage me to pass that on to my uh, viewers as well. So it's, it's everybody learning and... It's really cool because I think for those guys, if they're putting out tips like that, they'll get hit up way deeper than I will. 
So it's almost like they prefer someone smaller to put out some information like that, you know? So, uh, but yeah, that's been really huge. Instagram followers teaching me stuff that they, they've learned along the way is huge. Yeah, no, that's cool, man. Cause you know, when we talked about doing the interview, you're like, Oh, I don't really know if I'm qualified enough for cultivation yeah. stuff. But then funny enough, you're like, but there's likely a lot of people that listen that have home grows or small grows. And there could be things that definitely they could learn from your kind of trials and tribulations as being a condo grower, as you say. Yeah. And I've only, I've only been on one farm and that was, uh, I visited real deals farm, but it's completely different from doing it inside a little, a little space. And, uh, you know, you don't have, you have, you really got to be strategic on where you put stuff and you can only do so much. You're limited. You're definitely limited, especially if you're in a condo or an apartment where you have no yard. Cause drawing outside, if you can do it, if you can get away with it, like where you live or whatever, just so much better because the plant's going to be so much larger and you can yield so much more. And I used to have, I used to live in the valley and I had a yard and I was growing outside and I didn't know that. Like I wasn't at that point yet. So had I known that and I was there now, oh my God, it would be unbelievable. But I do like where I'm living at now and I love, I love the, this condo. So I, you know, I'm just, I'm taking it, I'm doing, pushing it to the limit and taking that as I can basically. So I'm curious because you said coming from the East coast outdoor, having kind of not the best rep, has your mind changed about that specifically because of hash? Because of hash, because yes, specifically because of hash. I think that obviously I think we all would agree that the sun has, is just better than any light could ever make. So the sun grown terps, that's, that is just um, something you can't get with indoor and that wasn't necessarily what we were looking for when we were getting outdoor bud back in the day, we were just going to smoke it. And so outdoor bud was not as clean as indoor bud. So like there's that whole element, but when you're talking about hash, you know, if you grow it organically and you do your best to keep it as, as clean as you can, I mean, it goes through water and it gets washed anyway. And there's one thing I'm learning, you know, I think I saw it, I think I saw it even on YouTube, Nick a T may have said it, but it's been repeated and I've seen it myself is that when you're washing the outdoor bud, that first wash isn't necessarily going to be the best wash because of that, those contaminants and the dirt and stuff. And so you could see on the second or even on the third wash to be like even cleaner resin. And that's just, I mean, that's just a little outdoor tidbit, but that's the, the idea is that my, my mind outdoor was bad because it was like, Oh, like, or even like, I, I didn't even know about light depth at that time, but like that whole idea was, Oh, maybe it's not the best flowers, it's not indoor, it's not good. But now for resin and, and the hash, it's kind of completely changed. I think, I mean, but I still think that the indoor is, is so clean that it's, it's really nice too. Yeah, for sure. Even uh, when it's just down to the hash, it's interesting to see the indoor and the outdoor, but yeah, when, it, when it's the flower or the buds, you do have like that visual bag appeal mm-hmm. that kind of goes away with hash Yes, or it turns into a different visual. Exactly. Exactly. I think like, I even think that a lot of the, the sun-grown terps have way more complexity in the colors of the actual hash too. And, and there's always the debate that people will say like, your color isn't everything. And I agree with that. And yeah, I don't like, it's, it's tougher to get those colors when you're just growing indoor. I bought, I, I although with my last funeral hunt, so many different colors that came out of that. It was so cool. That was the coolest thing was that funeral hunt, just seeing that each plant from a, one seed pack with the same name on it could produce four or five or six like unique profiles and it doesn't mean that they're unique meaning they're the best ever but they're unique to each other and they're not the same and oh man there's just so many possibilities where you grow it 
indoor, outdoor, what, you know, what elevation, all this thing. It's, it's so cool. Yeah, I was just talking to Cameron uh, Sunfire about something similar in regards to being able to find a decent amount of phenos within a seed pack mm-hmm. or at least one or two that are viable for washing and pressing into rosin or if not keeping for melt. And you and I were talking about that too, but it's kind of funny because I feel like a lot of people like pop seed first almost and then they'll maybe move to clones. Maybe I'm not right about that, but that's what the way it kind of feels. Mm-hmm. And in your case, you're like doing it the other way around where you started like once you got some decent cuts to, to wash, you know, and, and now you're kind of seeing another side of that. Yes. And since you're doing it on like this small scale, you also are kind of learning a bunch of different things in regards to like selection. So what would you say that you've learned in that regards? So, yeah, that was the main, one of my first takeaways was like, wow, when, when Real Deal gave me that cut, that was so huge because there was a process before that, that what that was the pheno hunt that came to finding that cut. That was the one. And then people had to keep that around. And then it was passed on to me. And now that I've done that work to find, I've, I've kept five of the phenos. I think one of them is like a real big standout, which I told you was like the number three from frozen bananas. Like if I had to keep one, that would be the one, but I kept five because I do. They're all really good. I like them all. And I don't, and it's not like I have a million of these different things I can choose from. So I kept the ones that I liked, but yeah, there's so much work organization and care taken to get to that final pheno hunt and uh because really you have to, what you have to grow the plants and before you go into flower you take these you take these clones and typically you don't just take one because if that one doesn't survive you need to have another one and so i i, I took five because it was my first time so i took five of each one and i had so i had like 25 clones of frozen bananas and 30 clones of strawberry diesel cookies and i had to keep those 50 clones alive for eight weeks that's just for the flowering and then I have to process it and just squish it and taste it and decipher all that stuff. Just like, it doesn't happen in one day. It takes a little while. So I end up holding on to these cuts for like 10 weeks or more. And that just becomes space because they're starting, and these plants grow. So like the plants are getting bigger and bigger. And so all that is happening. And then you get this one cut out of it. That's the selector. So you don't see that. And so there's a lot of value in that selection because so much work was done just to fucking get there. And I learned that. And so now, and so now my perspective is like, it's sick to get cuts because that's how I got it, got to where I am. But now I want to be, now I want to find my own because I want to be able to put my name on something and be like, Oh, I found the seed. This is really, this is some good shit. And it's no longer just getting it from someone else. And just then they'd be like, yeah, this is, if that's your end goal is to just have the good hash, which mine was my, my end goal was just to have good hash. I could smoke, but now it's grown beyond that. It's grown, it's grown to, Oh wow. There's almost infinite, potential profiles out there. I want to find one. Yeah, that, right. And that's where I'm at now. Yeah, that's cool, man. And you told me part of the reason that you first got interested in like started making hash is because when you were out east, let's say you had good connection. Yeah, yeah. I was the guy. <laughs> I was the guy since since I started smoking basically. I like when I right when I started I was in like ninth grade and I immediately started buying larger amounts and selling it to my friends because I wanted to be able to afford it. And uh I think that's how everyone starts who does that. You just want to be able to smoke for free. Right. And so I did that from like 14 years old to like 25. And then I moved to California and 
wicked rude awakening. And <laughs> like, I was like, holy shit, I can't afford my habit. Like, there's, there's just no way that I could pay a dispensary the amount that I smoke. And so I had to ch- seriously change my habits up. And it was just that, and that's what I had to do. And then eventually I got into BHO from my buddies from Virginia, actually. They came up and they taught me how to dab correctly because I had dabbed quick if I can sidestep my dab history was I did it like one time in 2010 when it was like very early and I didn't even know what was going on at that time though I was still I was still the guy I was like the weed guy but I didn't know about BHO at all and someone was just at my house like a party or something and was like gave me this dab and it had the the nail and the dome and I didn't know it's so funny it's such a it's such a hazy memory like I really don't know what the fuck that was but I remember just being I just remember being them saying that it was called the honey oils and you got to go to the hempist in Boston and ask him for the honey setup. And that's how you get like the ring pieces. And I never did that. But uh, then I tried it again, like in 2014, I started getting like root beer shatter. And then these, uh, and I, but I eventually stopped because I just didn't taste good to me, like doing the hot dabs. And I just didn't know what was correct and all that. No one did, but I didn't. And so I stopped. And uh, later on, when I moved to California, I had another buddy, East Coast Dabbing. He like showed me all uh, the dab tech techniques and he would be, he would just feed me dabs and I loved him and I fell in love. He, showed, he gave me my first tangy and I was like, man, this is so good. And, but then when he, when he would go away, I wouldn't know how to dab anymore. And right. so, and so these guys from Virginia, they're like my best friends. Now they, they were like, yo, you, you heat it up for 60 seconds and then you wait 90 seconds and like all this whole thing. I'm like, Oh shit, for real. And so I did that. And, uh, and so I was like into BHO. And so that was, that actually helped because I was getting raw garden it was like $35 a gram out here at the time. And so that was pretty, pretty reasonable for me. So I was like, I just basically kind of converted to a lot of that and still smoking flour, but mostly doing BHO dabs to get through because it actually was more cost efficient than right. buying the flour. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Even compared to the flour. Yes. Yeah. Because I would, I had a little insert. I had like, I had, I had nothing, nothing heady. I was all like all China glass and shit, but I had this little insert that I would do cold starts with and it would just let them ride for so long. And so what we would do is we'd all put dabs in it and we would cold start it and just like pass it around. And it became, <laughs> it was sick because I, what I didn't in the beginning, what I didn't like about dabbing was how I was like, Oh, you, you, it's so solo. You just do it yourself. And like, there's no community anymore, but that was just at the time. Right. And so I'm like, maybe there's a way we can do it so we can pass it still. And so that's what we came up with. And it was sick. And we, I remember one of the best ones we were out in Joshua tree, like on a fucking mountain, just passing around the rig with the, with the cup in there. It's so sick. And so, but yeah, those were the days, the, the BHO, our BHO days anyway. We weren't, we weren't into the hash rosin yet. I think the rim, and really, my first hash rosin was in 2020. And it was that real ice look and trichedelics. I got a gram each. And they were like the most expensive grams I ever paid for. And I was like, I can't explore this shit, but this shit is so fucking good. What the hell? And so it was basically like, I need to make this because I can't afford it. So I'm just going to make it. And, uh, and that was, like I said, that was 2020. And so the journey's just been on from there. It's only been like a year and a half. And I've just been going hard trying to get to that level. And it's sick because now the real ice look, Ganja Gill, he like gives me tips all the time. He's a fucking man. And so it's cool to be like the guy that got me in, the, the guy whose hash got me in. Now he's like follows me and fucking gives me tips and shit. So it's really cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Like you said, it definitely feels like a, a community. Totally. And, you know, the Instagram thing is a whole world of its own. Like you and I were talking about earlier, that's, Definitely good and bad, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, I, I focus on the good for sure, and I think my page itself has fostered a really positive envi- uh, community of people. And it's because yeah, I, I don't put my opinions out there on shit because I don't give a shit. So I just post what I'm doing, 
and that and it creates like an environment of like yeah I'm not talking about anyone else I'm not you know just doing my own thing yeah and so you and I were talking a little bit about your social media and how you so you said it actually started because you were sending a bunch of videos to your friends of you doing stuff and you're like you know maybe I should just make an account yeah I was DM people directly I was annoying my buddies I mean I'm sure I wasn't annoying them but I would just be so hyped on all these hash discoveries I was having and, and, and sending them directly to them. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to make a, a page because I, I had been growing for two years and I would just post it on my personal page because my personal page, Curtis Lynn has just been where I'm at and now I don't even really use it anymore. And so, but I would post some stuff on there and it was cool because my employer didn't mind. Like he, not that he encouraged it, but he, he encouraged you to have your hobbies and do whatever the fuck you want to do. And so, uh, I didn't mind posting it and stuff like that on there, but I didn't make it my whole page. But just looking back and reflecting on my life, like clearly cannabis has been my passion. Like since 14 years old, I've been so much of my time has been spent figuring out how am I going to get more? When am I going to get more? And how much money can I get? So I can, how much can I get? You know, that's always been every question you ask every fucking day. And so that's ultimately what led me to where I am now. And so with this page, I'm like, I'm just going to post on my story, the same things that I would send to my friends. And uh, that's to this day how I do it. And I mean, now it's, it's gotten a lot bigger and, and my, the way I post has evolved because it's, I've tried to make it look more like professional, but still, but it's still in a DIY way, which I think is cool. But uh, yeah, I think that my pages, the six, like a lot of the successes come from that idea of my story posts are content that I would send like my best friends. And so I'm very much myself and them, and I and I don't mind sharing what I'm going on, what I have going on, the the good and the bad, and I don't mind making fun of myself and just just like having fun. And so, I think people when they see that that content coming through like that, then they feel like they're one of my friends, and like it's just all good vibes, basically. Yeah, that's cool. And like you said, you've obviously people have been attracted to the page. And yeah, like, you know I. I eventually came across you and like you said, you and I have been kind of chit-chatting for like a year or so. Mm -hmm. It's funny. We, I think you found the podcast maybe like on YouTube. Yeah. 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 So it feels like a full weird full circle kind of thing. I never, I honestly never expected you to ask me to be on the podcast. I was caught by some total surprise when you, when you messaged me and said, hey, we should hang out. I was like, Oh my God, dude. Cause we'd been talking for a year. So I'm like, yeah. And you know what I'm doing and I know you're into hash. So like, I would love to meet you. Was like, <laughs> right. I wasn't like, Oh, I would love to meet you. And hey, can I be on the podcast? Because I think I should. Like, I really did not expect it, no, yeah, and uh, I appreciate it so much. No, no, yeah, but it's cool. But like I said, I think that it's it'll be valuable to people that are working in like smaller spaces and people that maybe don't have as much experience. Mm -hmm. like but me. they're like, yeah, they're like they're kind of catching up or trying to level up, you know. Uh, and and I feel like it's interesting because there are these new things that make that more feasible, like better genetics. Yes. That you can sift through or, you know. So cool. many, so many people on Instagram are now becoming breeders and crossing the strains that wash. And that's so huge. Like a bunch of, like the bunch of the next seeds I'm going to be popping, including the seeds that I'm popping now or that I'm currently growing are seeds from people from Instagram who sent me being like, Hey, I crossed these things. Well, you, you can have these and try them out. And for them, they're happy because someone's working with their, their gear. And for me, I'm happy because I'm getting free seeds. <laughs> and then, and then, the, but then there's like this whole pheno hunt aspect that I'm like, oh, it's very interesting. Like, you get better basically by choosing a a strain that has two parents that wash. You're you're upping your chances of getting a good percentage yielder or getting a good washer. 
And so now that's the whole game. And so people are realizing that. And so there's a lot of people who are, are young and they're trying to get their name out there and they're willing to give out these seeds of hash uh, strains. But, but at the same time, I'm now learning that if they don't have the right cut, it might not be the right one, you know? So it's just, it's so, it's crazy. Yeah. And in your case, again, what makes it extra interesting is your limited space, mm-hmm. right? So if 30 people send you strains mm-hmm. yeah, I can't and you walk. don't know anything about these things, mm-hmm. then like, it's a hard thing to dedicate space to them. Four and months. You could find something interesting, but you also could not. Exactly. And that's where, that's where I, like, I think my next step is to, is to expand and probably not in a condo space, but in a, a place where I can grow outdoor and really expand what I'm doing. Essentially that's, it's not going to happen anytime soon, but I see that in my future for sure. In like the next couple of years, probably though. So talk to me a little bit about how your cultivating has changed or stayed the same. So it's largely stayed the same since I started with those, the Chinook Haze and purple Lamborghini, because my very first grows, the outdoor and indoor that I did at the same time, I did, what do you call it? Like bottle nutrients. I think I used like advanced nutrients or whatever, whatever like the wicked classic one is. I just did it because I didn't know fucking know it better. It wasn't that easy. And then my buddy was like, yeah, do this. It's so what I, what I use is, and I'm not sponsored by anything, but yeah, I use uh, green, the green grow. It's called Nature's Pride. And it's like I top dress once a week. And then I, they also have a tea that I make. And that's just like, I put it in water and mix it. And then I feed that to them once a week. And then once a week, I also give them just like regular plain water. And that has been my same regimen. And I've done that for all the strains. And that for me, that's proof that it's all about the genetics. Obviously it is, but I did that with the ChemD. And I did that with my chop cookies. I did it with these uh, strawberry diesel cookies and the frozen bananas. And I did it with the Chinook Haze. And all of them... They grow fine. They grow. There's like, I see. That's the thing where I I was telling you before. Like, I don't feel like I know anything because this regimen is so easy. I don't have to know anything, and I don't necessarily want to. Really, I'm not. I'm not trying to get bogged down by those details at this point because uh, I'm trying to just get my end result with those nutrients that are so easy. Just feed them on top. I've, I've recommended them to so many people. I have like a saved archive story explaining what I do because I just think it's so easy. I do it in cocoa, and I think. I think you can do it in soil. I think most people do it in soil, but I do it in cocoa. The only times I have like issues is when I forget to do something. Basically, it's just, it's just so easy. It's so, and so for home growers, I just totally, I, that's what I would recommend or find, or just basically find a regimen where you can just do top dressing and teas. And it is so, so simple. I mean, you have to do the, the, the hard part is learning how to defoliate and train your plants to, so that you have a maximum yield. But in terms of just keeping them happy, nothing really has really changed for me in the last three years. And we spoke about this too, was that living soil is becoming clear, a clear like winner for hash. And you can do that inside. But for me, having the big bed in my condo where like I couldn't easily move that if I, for whatever reason, needed to or dispose of that would be way more difficult when I eventually need to. I just choose this. I grow in pots. And so I have cocoa and I grow in pots. And at the end of the season, I chop them all down. I throw them in the dumpster and they get taken away on Sunday. How big are the pots that you grew in? So I varied but the last ones I did seven gallon pots, but I've done five to seven gallon. And I typically run, I have a four by four, four by eight tent, but I, I always think of it as two four by four spaces next to each other. And I try to run four plants in a four by four or like four and a half where you have 10 throughout the whole four by eight. So you have like four and then one in the center, two, one row in the center. 
And you like to do that for what reason? For the for like having enough room once they actually start growing out? Yeah. So I mean, so much so much of what I learned is just over the internet, and and so like I w- I've seen people grow in cocoa and have like one or two gallon pots and grow like giant plants. And I'm like, how does that happen? Because I always, I always thought that was like the bigger the roots, the bigger the fruits was like that little saying, right? And so I, that's what I did. And, and my plants grow pretty big. Uh, but what I've learned in my dumb way is that the bigger uh, pots I use, the less frequently I have to water them. And that's just easier for me because I'm doing so much other shit. I have another job. If I don't have to water every single day, I, I like that. And the cocoa is just, that's what I was taught to grow in. So that's what I still, you know, kind of, if it's not broke, don't fix it type of thing. That's where I'm at with that. But, and so I would like to learn how to do living soil in the future. Cause I think that that there, that is kind of the way for, for growing uh, hash strains. But for now, you I, I mean, you tried some of my hash it's pretty decent. So we'll go over that for now. Yeah, for sure. And we'll talk about some of your sayings. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A little down the line, but. I think this is a good chance for us to take a smoke break. Oh, let's do it. Yes. Cool. I'd like to take a moment to thank everyone who makes up our community on Patreon for allowing us to continue to produce episodes, including episode 39 with Curtis Terps, and to give a special shout out to some of our top contributors, including Diego of Flawless Extracts, Baller Headstash in the DF Dub, Jason in Michigan, the crew at Heritage Hashco Mendocino, Gastown Fire and their Green Cedar Retreat, Side of Mitts in Arizona, David of Rosin Evolution, Meltwalkie Jeff, the homie The Real Cannabis Chris, the boys on the Big Island Pressing Faux Show, Macro Melts in SoCal, the homie Big C, Mario in Illinois, D Pesci 44 in Connecticut, the homies from Mission Hill Melts, Kevin of Lifted in Dina, The Hash Hive, Ryan and Jonah in Illinois, Garland in DC, Nick the intern, and the Chile Relleno Burrito in Trinidad. I appreciate each and every one of you, and I appreciate you listening, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. All right, so let's talk about washing hash in the condo. Yes, so when I started washing, I was we were renting a house, and so we washed in the garage, and we did it in, I think we did it actually in a washing machine. And that was, that was the first way we did it. That was me and the Husky Brusky. It was both our first time washing by ourselves. and Like a small washing kind of place. Yeah, yeah exactly. A little, I don't know if, it, if it's a certain brand, but it's like a little blue one. And, right. And so uh, <laughs> we had that on my, just on my table in my garage, and we ran, I think, some of his flour, that it, some like lowers that he had. And it was like it, the, the water was purple, and it was like, oh, man, it's so cool. And we were just loving it. And, uh, but we air dried it. And... It was tough to do in that in that valley, but now that I'm in the condo, the first thing we did was we washed in coolers, and so that was like my, my foray into this whole thing. Was like I I posted on Reddit when I made this page, and I posted like my whole, whole kind of cooler tech. I didn't like, I didn't go into it in detail, but I posted like a little video of us doing washing the hash in the coolers, and a lot of people had said it was the first time they'd seen it, but I had learned it from the minuscule bit Mike Greg, and so he he did it before and. It was an easy way to do these different washes. So the, the idea with when you're washing hash, you have like the first, second, third washer. If, you, if you've ever heard of that, that's because when you when you wash the the cannabis in with or the flowers in with the water, you're not getting it all right away. You're just going to get some, and so that's why you have to wash it multiple times. And so the way we did it was we had three coolers, 
and we'd have a bag, a micro 22 micron bag with the flowers in it. And that would get washed inside of the cooler. And then after seven minutes, we would take that out and put that in the next cooler. And we'd have like a three man team. And the way it would work was each, every bag of flour would go through each cooler. And then eventually what you'd have is a first wash cooler, a second wash cooler and a third wash cooler. And that was how we separated them out. And that was like, it was pretty easy. It was nice because like I think the coolers were eighty bucks, so it cost me like two hundred fifty bucks, and we got the coolers and we made it happen. We did that for I think we did that for two runs, and then there was a long hiatus between my third run, which is the last one I did, and so then I was like, I need to get bigger barrels because I was going to be processing for someone else, the uh, beast mode that I had met, and so I needed bigger barrels. I wasn't planning on doing my pheno hunt, or you know, once I once I have the, my cuts that I want to grow and beer, I'm going to need the barrels anyway. So I was just I was just investing in right up front. A lot of my, a lot of what I've done is just investing right up front. Like getting that freeze dryer is cause I knew that it's just going to be like 100 times easier than air drying. And it's like pretty much foolproof. And so I just wanted to have that luxury right out the gate because I didn't, I felt it was, it wouldn't be worth my time to just struggle trying to figure it out. Cause at that time it still really was no one telling you exactly how to do it. Like or well anyway, or at least in my house. And so we did, we, I'm doing it in the barrels now. And so, I have a 22 micron bag liner inside of a 32 gallon brew can and I wash it in there just kind of naked. I don't put it in a bag. Like I just have it in there with white water and ice. And it seems like the tech is going towards less ice now or no ice completely. So my whole thing is that I wash without a cold room. And that's, I think that's one of the big things that most people are inspired by my, my grow, but my, what I'm doing is that I don't have a cold room. So at first I actually put up, if you can see, I put up blankets around my, my office and, and then we started, I put a, a portable AC inside that room and I had a vent running from that all the way out to my outside and it wasn't, it wasn't an insulated vent. So like, it was just fucking hot as shit coming out of the, it was just like, it was, it was actually a grow, what I would use for my grow vent, like it's the aluminum one. And it was so hot. It wasn't doing anything because it was so hot that this side of the room was really hot and the, the cold room wasn't that cold. So I just cut it. We left the blankets up and it worked out. I did it again the next time. And eventually I realized, I'm like, I don't even think we need this. And so we stopped. I pulled them down. I didn't even put them up when I washed the hash recently. And I also didn't drop my AC down. I was also dropping my central AC down to 59, which was the lowest it could go. But I felt bad like pushing it because I don't, I don't own this place and I rent. So I'm just like, I don't want to go down to 59 if I don't have to. But I did it for the first time and. And you can put it lower, but I think I put it at 65. So I put my, I put my central AC at, eight, at, at 65 and I just do it. And it seems to be all right. I have, I've only run into issues of like melty resin one time. And it's because I was kind of working pretty slow. But I mean, it's every strain is going to be different or every cultivar will be different. But Mostly you found like around 65 works the majority of the resins you work with. Are yeah, good. because, well, the thing is... I mean, we're doing fresh. Fr- the whole the idea is that fresh frozen is what's really difficult to work with without a cold room, because we've all washed, you know, dried flour hash or like trim hash in a garage in the fucking ninety degrees, and it works. And it's no no big deal. But it's because the resin's not super melty, and so when uh, you do fresh frozen and you've and uh, you've harvested right at eight weeks and it's just really fresh and it's just all clean and they want to melt together, it's nice if you have a cold room. And if you're doing it at a scale, you're not not going to have a cold room. But if you if you're just a hobbyist, from my experience. You can just wash it whatever temperatures you got, and the best thing that you can do is keep your barrels cold with some wrap. So you can you use like the you can, if you have the money, you can spring for the the Pelli Polaris, but 
or you can just wrap it in some Reflectix. So you get at Lowe's for like 10 bucks and then you keep the water cold. And that's the best thing. That's the best thing it's going to be doing because the cold room is nice to work in. I haven't even done that. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it'd be nice to work in, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't work in any cold room. And that's like the that's I think that's the biggest thing that most people are like, wait, you don't wash in the cold room. Like, I'm like, yeah, no, I'd, because I, I just think that there's a lot of importance put on it for good reason, but it doesn't mean that you can't do it without one. And that's, I think that's what's getting the message that's ultimately getting said is like, if you don't have cold room, you can't do it. So don't try. And also the freeze dryer, if you don't, don't have that, you can't do it. That's also not true, but it's definitely going to be like, I spend the money on a freeze dryer. If you're not going to spend the money on a, on a cold room, cause you don't need that. The freeze dryer is sick for sure. But the cold room for me, not necessary, definitely helpful. And if you have, and if you, if you can do it, do it. <laughs> but, it, but if that's, what's holding you back that you don't have a cold room, well then don't let that be the thing that holds you back. So let's talk about the original way that you were washing. These are kind of like long, shallow coolers. Yeah, they're. I think they're only like maybe 15 inches deep, maybe or something, maybe 18. But yeah, they, I just got them at, at Lowe's too. And we would fill them up with water and ice enough so that what we would do is we'd have a, a potato masher, the kind that has just like a, a, a zigzag S design. And yeah, we just, I've, seen, I've it, seen videos of it. Yeah. yeah, and we would just use that inside the open top bag. And we would just kind of just wash in that and let the water and ice be around it. We would just mix it in there. And the first, if you were, if you were manning the first cooler, then you would just kind of do a light wash. And then in the next cooler, you do a, a heavier wash. And then by the third guy, they would just, they were going hard in there because that was going to be the last <laughs> wash. And it's, and it's funny now because now that I'm doing the barrel washes, I haven't had much experience washing. I've only washed my own material, which when you're a hobby grower, you only can harvest so many times per year and it's only a little bit. And I haven't been doing it very long, so I haven't washed that much. But I recently washed hash for this dude Beast Mode and he get, and he had like he had like eight plants in his backyard and each one was in like a fucking 50-gallon tub and they're just giant plants. So I washed I had the chance to wash all these different cultivars and realize like, man, it's just there's just so much I just need to wash more to get more experience. And, and as I'm doing it, so I had the opportunity to grow all, or I, I had the opportunity to wash all these different cultivars. And what I learned was that sometimes one needs more washing than the next. And sometimes you need to wash it like six times or seven times. And sometimes you only need to wash it four times. And when we did the cooler tech, we only did three washes. So, that, so I just have no clue what we left on the table. So there's that element to it. Um, and like what I've learned, and then and some, something else that I just learned from trial and error is that, so I was doing one wash for him and it was the sixth, well, I did six washes and I was like, dude, this is still putting on resin and it's like 2 a.m. and I got to go to sleep. <laughs> like I have to like work tomorrow and shit. And so I put, so what, what I was doing was putting, after I finished working with material, I put it in, I have new tech now, but this was at the time. This is, and like, I'm ever always changing my tech as I do it like every single time I wash. But uh, I put it in the in my tub, right? Just to just to somewhere where the ice could melt and drain inside with the the two twenty bag with all the work material that was when I'm finished with it. And so I just did that, and then I went to sleep, and then I was like, and I felt uh, in the in the night <clears throat> in the morning, I was like, man, I I should have washed that one more time. Like I think there was still something, and I, and so I'm like, you know what? Let me just experiment, and wash this like material that had been sitting not in the cold and sitting in my bathroom tub for eight twelve hours. And I washed it again and I got more hash and like, it wasn't like the most desirable hash, 
but I got it. And so I'm like, oh, so it just learned right away. It just taught me like, okay, so there's just, there's just so much stressed importance about like must be cold and must be like negative this degrees forever. And if it's ever not, then you have this, the worst person in the world. And it's like, dude, sometimes, sometimes shit happens. And you're, it's you know, obviously you don't want that. It's not ideal. But it, I think the thing is that people think you cannot do if you don't have like, the optimal environment and situation and tools and all the shit. And like to have the optimal, all of it is gets expensive. And so you just have to work your way up. And like, we were talking about graduating to do to things like I started in a five gallon bucket or my buddy had a washing machine, but like we collected in a little five gallon bucket. And that's how we, we washed later on in coolers. And we also collected in a five gallon bucket. And now that I'm washing in big brew barrels, still collecting in a five gallon bucket, just, I cut open the top of a, of like a 20 gallon and put it in there. So I have more room to, to do it. Yeah. So like you just, you slowly add on and you get up there and that's how I've gotten to where I'm at. Just, um, but, but every, basically every single harvest, like investing more and figuring out a better way and, and, and getting it bigger. That's been the story. Yeah, definitely. I think it's always interesting to see people's evolution in their process. Yes. And you know, you're kind of so early on in that, mm-hmm. but it's interesting to see like the strides that you've taken and the decisions that you've made. One of the convenient things about washing in the coolers though, was you guys had that function where you could just release the wash at the bottom of it. Yep. Just, yeah. With the cooler function for the drain, we just do that. We'd put it up. I had a piano in here at the time. We had a piano bench and we just put the cooler on the piano bench with the five gallon bucket underneath with the micron bags, collection bags under and just open up the thing and let it grow. And, uh, that was fine. You know, and that, yeah. that was like the, that was like the, the way we did it for the first two times when like a lot of the, my first chem D hash was being shown on Instagram and stuff. So it wasn't like I was using any like food grade, all this and that. It was just coming out doing what I was doing. Right. Those first washes, I know you said they were kind of light. Mm-hmm. How long were you guys doing that? So we, so those times, I don't know if I said it on this podcast or not, cause I know we've been talking for a while, but now I like go up in my times, every wash, like I start with seven and then I go to 10 and then some 12 and then 15 and 20. And back then we just did seven minutes per wash straight up and we would soak for seven minutes. So we'd have a seven minute timer set it. And then once it went off, someone would go wash for seven minutes. And then we would put that bag in the second wash. The new bag would go into the first wash and we'd wait seven minutes again. And then we'd go back in and then two people would start to wash. And so it was a three man team thing. And uh, it was convenient because you could easily, like if we wanted to stop for lunch, we could just like let it chill in the cooler and it was no big deal. It wasn't like a, because one of the things you'll find when you're not making hash is you're just a fucking hectic mess. And you're like, oh, man, all the stuff I didn't think of now is like coming up. And when you're like, that's early on. Like now it's like, I mean, I just do it easily now. But when you're when you're first starting out, you're you're so hectic. And so being able to like stop and be like, is pretty nice. That was cool about the coolers because they're, they're just insulated by nature. Yeah, no, they're convenient in some senses. That's why mm-hmm. I, I kind of keep bringing them up because it's a creative solution for maybe somebody working at home or yes. a small space. Cause you can, cause I store them on my balcony and I just have them right out there. There. So they're out of the way. Like, but like, and also it's conspicuous. Like what do you have coolers for? Like, what do you think? I fucking have them for when I go to the beach or when I go where I live, you know, whatever you have them for anything. And so the funny thing is people comment on is when I come through, I like, I posted sometimes like pictures of me with a carriage full of fucking ice and I have ice in the coolers, but then there's ice on top of the coolers and on the bottom of the carriage and I'm going through my elevator through my condo. And thankfully no one's ever 
ever said anything to me. And I, I, I also don't think I've seen anyone when I've had all the ice. But my my excuse is either I like to take ice baths or like I'm just working on some like ice project, you know, just like, you know, just whatever. It doesn't even matter. But uh, no one's ever asked me. But yeah, having coolers as opposed to like big brute barrels is like something. It's not it's, having the brute barrels now. I have to have a dedicated space. There's a table that I took away because I, I, I needed space to put the my, my brute barrels. I didn't want to store those outside because they just get dusty. I mean, you have to clean them anyway, but you don't want to have to clean dust out. That's dirty as shit. I have to have a dedicated space for them, but the coolers you can get like that. Clean the outside off is is not as big a deal because the inside is much more encapsulated through yeah. the through the cap. And they serve the double purpose, I guess. Of like you said, using them as carrying vessels for ice. Yes, exactly. And that's another thing. Uh, I saw a post where we talked about it earlier that you get your ice like directly from the ice source. How did that come to be? Yeah, so I get it from Arctic Glacier. Uh, we've used gas station ice and basically what I mean by that is just like gas we got uh, ice we got at the gas station that didn't really have like a name brand and we didn't test it or anything we just ran it and we found like black specks in the hash and we were like oh it must have and then we like and then we next, next time we got we grabbed ice and we put it in a cup and we let it melt and then we just saw like there was just like particulate in the ice just straight up and so we realized like okay there's better ice that we can get our friend Greg Minuscule bit my he um he gave me the plug. He was like, "Oh yeah," and, and I think it's in. Uh, I forget now. Now I forget where the, the the street is. It's on, but it's like twenty minutes from me, and it's the Arctic Glacier. At least probably one of them, but it's like a warehouse where they ship from, and like they have a whole loading dock full of full of slabs, and you can get like big bricks there and stuff. So at first, I started getting the forty pound bags, and we would get five of them. So we we usually ran two hundred pounds of ice through the three coolers. I, you'll see I have two freezers in here. One is a smaller freezer and one's a bigger one. And that's because I didn't know any better and I got the smaller one. And that one is just fucking useless. I hate that one. <laughs> I wish I had two big ones. It just sucks. And so if I have any advice about freezers, it's don't get it. Don't even fucking bother with the small 3.5. Just get a five or bigger and you're going to need it. And so I, cause the reason I have two is cause I needed it. I like, I just not, you can't, you need to be able to store frozen flour and then also, if you if I mean if you, if you have uh, don't have room in your coolers for the ice, you gotta have room for ice as well. And then you also need I like to have space to put my bag my collection bags because when I'm not I don't like to I'm just trying to work as fast as I can. So once I collect the hash out and put it on a tray, I just put that it's on like those little rings you've seen that style set up I have little rings of the top of the bu- buckets, and I just put that in a bucket that's in my freezer. So they just restack back up in, in the freezer and they're cold and they're not sticking together and the whole thing. It's super easy. You can't do that unless you have an extra fucking freezer space where you can do it. So that's huge there. And so the Arctic Glacier, their ice is, is, is as premium. It's really nice. So when I started getting the 40-pound bags and then now I'm getting blocks of ice because of my new setup. I have two cooling vessels to keep my ice cold because I don't have a, a big tank. It just would be not easy to have in here. As much as I go really hard with all my stuff, like I can't, I can't go that hard. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And so, because the thing is, I used to try to have a setup where I have a drip feed system on my plants, but you need a reservoir that's like, I'll, I started with a five gallon reservoir, and it was like I'm just refilling this all the time. It's like not even a point to having this, and I can't fit. You saw that room; it's pretty fucking tight. I can't fit a big reservoir in there, so I just don't have. I'm maxed out. And so, yeah, so what I ended up doing was I have two 
cooling vessels. And so I have the first one I have filled up with blocks of ice that are 10 pound blocks. I get them and they come in three packs. I think they're like three or $4. I end up, I end up, my bill at the end of my ice thing is always just around like 40, 45 bucks. That's like what I paid for one wash. And I basically get 16 to 20 of those 10 pound blocks. And then I get like a 40 pound, a 40 pound bag of loose ice. And I use that for when I'm washing strictly. And the reason I do that is because I don't have a cold room and I feel like it helps because I mean, that's just been the tradition for so long. I don't think it's going to be like a big deal than to have a warm room and then use ice. Like big, like, so I do that still, but I don't get, I don't get the, the regular ice for the cooling vessels. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I, I like to fill in the space of the, of the second cooling vessel. Cause when you put in the blocks, there's a lot of space around them that doesn't get filled in. So if you have a, a nice, you can just pour a whole bag in there and that'll fill in the, the cracks because the whole idea is that you just want to have super freezing cold water at your disposal. And um, when you're doing a wash in a 32-gallon brute, you need a lot of water. And so before when we did, but that's another thing that's nice about the cooler tech is you just put the water in the coolers with the ice and then you're good. That's all you really got to do. Where me, I'm like draining out the water, filling it back up again, draining out the water, filling it back up again. And that's because, and that you don't have to do that with the cooler so easy, but you can't just do as much volume. That's the only difference. Right. Hobby growers don't need to do that much volume, though. So, in the cooler systems, you were working in the wash bags, basically. Yes, we're, yeah, just like yeah, like. And what's funny is we put ice in there, but now that I'm thinking about it, we could have just had just water in there and then ice all around it, and and you know because because that's not interfering inside where you're mixing. So, and that's just something that I'm learning that I'm realizing now. But we would have ice and water and uh, well, obviously water, but ice, water, and herb in the open top, two twenty bag and mixing inside there, like with the potato masher. Right. And now it's freer in a bigger vessel. It's the same idea. It's still, cause yeah, it's an open top bag and, uh, but there's no water on the sides. It's just all inside this bucket. And I use a giant whisk. It's like a, it's a called a kettle whisk and it's for like brewing, I think, or you know, industrial kitchen shit. Yeah. I've seen it. It has kind of a round. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a globe on the bottom. It's pretty sick. And my buddy, uh, Husky Brusky just like randomly found that and told me about it. I think he probably saw it somewhere else too. None of us, none of us are ever claiming that we started anything. Right. We all learned from somewhere, building off the backs of others. So, in comparison to what you were able to wash in the smaller vessels, how much have you been able to wash in these bigger ones? So we were pushing. We did like I think we did two hundred to three hundred grams in a bag. So we were like so we, or if we washed like twelve hundred grams, we would do. 400 grams in a bag and then so that would add up to 1200 and then you would do the three washes and you couldn't really go any more than that and so now with these brute barrels i've washed up to like i think 5000 grams in one wash and it's so much different i'm like oh my god i'm actually like doing work and so learning about the water ratios is sick like it's really about if you can keep the water ice cold then you want more water than ice because it's just easier to wash when the more ice you have, the more of a slog it is on your body if you're washing by hand. That's why I mean where if you're doing it in the coolers now, don't even bother with ice inside the bag. Just put just water. That way you're not interfered by anything. But the ice is doing its job by keeping the water cold. That's what it's all about. That's pretty nice. But yeah, so in the, so we're going, it's called like considered naked, naked washing. It's just ice water inside the open top lined root barrel. And uh, I also have on my, on my nice big one, because I have, I have a smaller one that's a 20 gallon wash that I did all my pheno hunting in that one, because 
you want to, if, if you're doing smaller amounts, you don't want a big barrel. It's just not efficient for how the amount of water you need to fill up just to get it working. And so I used a 20 gallon one, but I had already blew my budget on all the shit. So I couldn't, I just used Reflectix to wrap up my 20 gallon one. And I still put a temperature gauge on it to see how it would hold up. And it was, it wasn't like right on 30 degrees, but uh, very close. And so um, I was very happy with that. And it was, the thing is, when you have a smaller vessel, you just have to use less water. The way I run it now is I, I drain to waste. So like I don't recycle the water. So you use a lot more. And so I needed a smaller vessel if I was going to do, I actually did all my pheno washes in one day. So like for all six plants, I did, I washed them all in one session one night individually. It was pretty gnarly. So I would do one wash for seven minutes and then collect one wash for uh, 10 minutes, collect. And then I would put that in a cooler and then do that again for the next pheno. Wash, collect, wash, collect, cooler. Wash, collect, wash, collect, cooler. And then, and, and all I'm doing is I'm dumping that bag into one. So now the cooler bag has all the phenos mixed. Right. And then I took that bag and I washed it a third time at the very end to get like whatever else I could out of it. And it was a mix. And I don't really like that. I mean, it's the third wash. So it's already going to be done that nice, but I don't really like the flavor. And, and that drives home more to me. The fact that these pheno hunts are so important because if you just open seeds and then wash them all together, like you're just not getting a good shit. You, I mean, you could. It's wicked, wicked crapshoot. So like, I'm not really loving the, the mix of all of them. So I'm like glad that I could see what they all individually taste like and then pick, you know, the number four or whatever. You know? Yeah. So I asked you this privately, that if the batch was really small, would you still do it? And you feel like if the point is to find the difference between these plants, you still do it. Yeah. Exactly. And it's, it's rough. Like one thing I tell people about even getting into this time making hash is like, you got to be able to afford whatever your, whatever your like habit is right now that you got to be able to afford it and all the stuff that it comes to making hash. Because if you don't, if you don't yield, then you got nothing. You still have to be able to live. You can't be like, Oh, it's got to give me this. Cause there's no, even cause this goes even beyond that. Like just growing. I tell that to people about growing. Cause one of the first questions a lot of people ask is, well, how much can I get and how much, how much does it cost to get in and what can I get for that investment? And you can't do that. I mean, you, I guess you could, but if you do, you're going to, your expectation is going to be blown and uh, you're going to quit. And so you have to be able to afford both because if shit doesn't go right, like for me, I was like, Oh man, I'm going to get this freeze dryer and I'm going to get all this stuff going. And then they were like 15 weeks. I was like, what? And so then I had to wait 15 weeks and I thought I was going to have hash like, that day. So, so it's like, dude, now fuck, I have like three and a half months. I have to just keep buying hash. And I did it. Cause that's the type of shit that happens. You just, if, if the things don't go right, then you're going to, and now uh, they inevitably won't, you got to be able to not rely on it. And so when you do these small ones, if like we were talking about, I'm growing this fruity pebbles, OG crossed with alien dog, which is like a chem dog crossed with alien technology if that doesn't yield, it's going to be shitty because I have like three or four plants in there and that's like 40% of my tent. So if I don't get anything good, then I just chalk up 40% to nothing. But, but, but what you do learn is that none of these seeds were good for hash. So like, that's the, that, I mean, that's the way, the attitude you have to have. You, you, you have to be like, oh, sick, I learned that. These suck. That's dope. <laughs> you know, you got to be into that because if you're not, then you're going to be so pissed and you're not going to want to keep going. Yeah, it's more about 
the exploration. Finding Obviously, that. If you find something cool that yields well, <laughs> that's like way better. Right. But it's more about like the journey. It is for me now. I think in the beginning it was like, I just, I really appreciated having those chem D cuts. Cause I'm like, man, this is going to wash for me and I don't have to worry about it. And that's so many people are still trying to find one and they can't. And like, I've got it right here. I didn't have to do anything. It's so sick. But I think because I didn't have to do anything, I'm like, man, I feel like I didn't earn this. You know, I really didn't earn it. And I mean, I did in a way because the whole reason Sam and Dustin helped me was because they could see that I was passionate about what I'm doing. And like, oh, dude, you're clearly passionate. You should be blessed with this ill cut. So I think that I do deserve that. But I, uh, I feel like now I'm actually earning it by finding a cut that is decent for now. And I'll keep going and hopefully I can find something that I'm even more proud of to, to share with people. Yeah, that's cool. I'm curious, you said, you know, washing uh, your homies material that you're learning and going back to the point that he was growing them in big pots. Was this outside? Yeah, yeah, outside. So referring that back to, I believe you said earlier, like about nicotine possibly mentioning washing material. Outdoor material. You know, in, any, in a different way. Did you use any of that kind of approach? Yeah, so well, I just almost confirmed what he was saying because when I looked at the colors, like, oh, the third wash is actually the lightest wash. And it's so interesting because you're so used to seeing, at least on Instagram, I mean, we all see hash on Instagram, right? So that's where you see it. But you're used to seeing like, oh, first through first wash or like first through third or whatever. Even mine are like first through first and second wash or whatever. And so I was noticing that this third wash, it's, it's cleaner. It was, like, it was a lighter color than the first wash. But I, the only thing I didn't do was go further and test the water hashes and be like, is this what is this first wash tastier or less tasty than this third one? I just put the worst first, second and third together and washed them because uh, when I'm doing it for someone else, I, and I asked him, do you have any specific ranges you want me to do? And he, he said, you do what you do. And I was like, all right, so I'm going to do it in a way that I think is going to be best for the, for like the end results, but also is going to be easy for me, uh, not too complicated for me because you can get pretty complicated and be like, okay, this is the first wash stuff. Then this is a uh, second and third. And then this is the fourth and fifth plus the first and second of the 25. So like it's full spectrum, but it's like third tier. And then you have to have all these different price. It's like much easier to just have one or two tiers basically. And so I would, that's the way that I kind of did it. It was like, all right, these three look the same color. I'm going to put these together. And then I'll put these other ones over here together. It's like a lower tier. Yeah. Interesting to see. So like sometimes when I was, I would wash one strain and I, and I, and after it's so cool because after you have this experience you can look up stuff and, and learn about it and so i washed one strain i forget which one it was but it was just dumping the same amount every wash it was so weird like it, usually it staggers it's a big big lump sum and then it comes down from there and it was the same then i found out later or like or kind of like when you you get a new car and then or you you're someone you know gets a new car then you see that car all the time well so now now that i'm aware of this thing now i see this guy talking about Oh, if your hash yield is the same every time, it means you like harvested too early. That's like a sign of that. I was like, oh, well, maybe that's what he did. I have no clue. And, that, and that's another thing about when you're watching someone else is you really don't know what, what you just, you're just learning, just finding out. I found out that a lot of them, some of them would, would take seven washes, dude. And that, and that could be because I didn't have enough water to the material ratio. Like, there's so much that I'm learning still. The broad learn, the broad lesson is that. Three watches isn't enough, probably. You want to, and so right now, what I'm trying to do, if I'm going to get the next thing, would be like a small washing machine, like one of the classic ones everyone uses, and use those for like my later washes because whew, 
I've done like 30, 30 minute hand washes and it just gets to be a lot <laughs> to do. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm like, if I could just throw that on a machine and then, you know, start cleaning up or do some other shit while it's going on, that'd be much better. And I think it's totally cool to do a machine from the, from the get go too. It's just much easier. It's all about what you want to do. I think hand washing is just like, the only way you can say you hand washed it is by hand washing it. And so if you care about being able to say that, then fucking hand wash it. But if you really don't care, then it doesn't fucking matter. I think it's doing the same thing. And it's just, it's whatever you want to do. That's my, that's my opinion on it anyway. For example, in his product versus yours, are you pressing different spectrum for the rosin? Ye- not necessarily. So I did the same thing with his that I did on mine. And I have a couple of different ideas that I want to do in the future. But I think one thing that a lot of people don't understand are the micron bags and what they do and they're, how they're really just like a ceiling, you know, for the different filters. And so for his wash and for my wash, so we did the same thing, I would go from 220 bag as like the, the, the main filter and then a 160. And then I would go up down to 73. So it would just be a 73 to 159. Like I call that like the fire spectrum because like it doesn't have the lower ones in there, but it's not just the straight single 90 U or whatever, 90 micron. And so I did that because it's much easier to collect. So when you hit the more bags you have, the more you have to collect, more times you have to collect. And those collections are smaller and it gets harder to organize. It's like, it's, it's a lot of things start happening really fast when you have, especially when you have just a small amount. Like if you're a producer and you have like giant ass scoops of 90, then okay, cool. But like when you're a hobby grower, you get like a little tiny fucking teaspoonful. So when you have, so when you do a 73 to 159, you get way more satisfying scoops and you're just like, ah, this feels better. You know, it just feels better. And uh, you don't know what the fuck's going on in terms of what percentage you're getting, but it's nice. But now that I've done that and I've done, I've done all the bags too. What I think I would like to do is on my first wash, I would collect with all eight bags and get the, the first wash 120, first wash 90, first wash 70. But, and then depending on how I feel after that, do it again for the second. But then after that, just do 73 to, to 159 because it is so much easier to just, when you're washing to just, or to, when you're collecting, to just pull out the 220. I pulled the 160, I don't collect that either. And then I just collect the 70, collect the 25, and then I'm on to the next wash. And it's so much easier. And it's so much easier to organize on my trays. On my trays, I just do, the the seventy threes on one tray, and then the t- all the twenty fives are on one tray, and so it's just so easy to tell between them all, and that's been the way I've been doing it lately. So for bulk, and, and the thing is this, because I did my pheno hunt washes, I didn't really care about what ninety I got from each one. I was like, I just need to know if if these are putting out hash and if the hash tastes good, and so that's where I didn't mind having to do just the, especially when I had to do so many washes in one day. The less times you have to collect the easier it will be. Right. Yeah, it makes the process more efficient. Yes. And so that's another question I get all times, like what bags should I use? And it's really up to you on how intricate you want to get. I mean, on a research level, you should do all the bags because then you know what, you know, what you're getting from your different microns. If you want it to be easy, just the 73 with a 60, 160 right on top of it. And you just get like all the good stuff that you're going to want to dab. And it's all mixed in together. And it's nice too, because it's all mixed in. I mean, if you separate them out and then mix them together, there's some room for like one area is being way lighter than another area. But if you had clicked them all together, there's less likely for that when you're pressing. I mean, the pressing the rosin. Homogenization, basically. They do that afterwards, but like even before, because I don't have a cold room, it's tough to mix hash together. Right. So 
yeah, if you can just collect it all in one pile, then it's, it's way easier deal to deal with. Yeah, and then I would say that the other factor to highlight is that the intention is to to take that resin freeze dry and then press it into raw. So yes, exactly. Exactly. No, uh, I love to smoke water hash, but I I don't haven't found that I can make. Like I, I have a stash of seven ten labs water hash, and I love that. So like when I smoke mine, and I'm like, this isn't this isn't on. And I think that it's valuable to be that critical to be like, my shit isn't as good as seven ten labs, so I'm not even gonna fucking make this. Like, what's the point? And I mean, one someone might argue the point is like you just have more, right? Because you lose yield when you press it or whatever. But yeah, I just want easy dabs to just take down when I need them. <laughs> water hash is just so much more of a thing, and I don't think that my hat my water hash is like on that level of being worthy of just staying as six star water hashes, you know? Yeah. So here's an interesting thing is, you know, you got into making water hash mm-hmm. from having tried some hash rosin. Yes. I mean, like this is better than the, either the BHO or whatever else you were smoking at the time. There is, there is something to say to be said about, it was my second grow, I think, or, my first or second grow of the Chinook Haze is my second grow. And I had like nine plants in there and they were giant. I did, Cause I didn't know how big sativas got and shit. And they were just massive. And I had to have, I had like two, uh, two purple Lamborghini plants. That's what it was. I had yeah nine Chinook Haze and two purple Lamborghini because that's all I could, that's all that survived from the clones that I took from the grow before. So this is like my third grow ever. And what happened was I let some, Oh, like a runoff fill up inside my little things. And essentially the bottoms of a couple of the plants of, of the pots were in the runoff for like more than a day. And that wreck wreaked havoc on my plants. It, it, it taught me like now I've never will ever let that happen again. Right. So there's, there's definitely a lot to be said about making mistakes because you fucking learn, you really learn, you know? And so never let that happen again. But those plants were like basically dying on the stand. And I was so, upset because like I was relying on this you know at this at this point in my where I was with with like my career and all that like I was relying on that shit I'm like man I fucking need this shit to be good and I felt so bad and I chopped it down and I put it in my freezer and I gave it to Greg the guy I keep mentioning it and he washed it for me he gave it back to me and it was just the four grams from this because it was sativa and, I, and it was like and it was like dying so like <laughs> it just was not a great situation and I got like four grams but I was like whoa this is like next level and I got me so fucking high I was because of sativa too oh man this is ill and then and even the purple Lamborghini was like pretty decent or I think the purple Lamborghini I didn't get made in the hash he made it in the hash because it was dying and so I'm like man this hash thing is really good but like I still didn't I still wasn't deep in the culture so I didn't know about fresh frozen I didn't know about anything even though I froze the stuff I, I did give him fresh frozen but I didn't even know I was and as I mentioned to you earlier and another tip for the home growers is like the, your home freezer is just not cold enough. I mean, unless you have some sick shit that I don't, you know, but the home freezer is just not cold enough to freeze your buds. You got to have the extra dedicated freezer that you turn the knob fucking all the way to coldest because that's just so part so key for, for fresh frozen. But that's just, that's besides the point that I was trying to make. No, that's a good little tip you were mentioning earlier. That, yes. You know, in the freezers, they get a certain kind of, they get they get they get a certain they get a certain so cold that they just shatter like like, like glass and if you just squeeze them like psh, and if they don't do that it's because they're not cold enough I think at least that's what we found when it's that cold you're you're in good hands you know for sure but that that's that's the first time I had my own hash rosin and I think I had had Greg's hash rosin before and I remember 
only having it rarely because it was expensive. And then finding out, and then just basically just smoking raw garden because that was what I could afford. It's funny because I think raw garden eventually became like a meme, but at that point it wasn't yet. So I was like happily smoking it, not really caring. And then I had those, the ice book and trichedelics came around and I was like, whoa, wait, $70 for a gram. And then wait, $80 for a gram. And I'm like, no way. And it came in on like a little menu text. And I was like, dude, what? I was like, okay, I gotta fucking get those, man. Because <laughs> that's not like, that's my personality is, wait, there's something really fucking sick. I want to fuck with that, you know? So it was just right up my alley. And then when I got it, I mean, I think I still have the jars, but I don't remember what strains they were. I mean, the trichedelics was peanut, was peanut butter breath for sure. Or uh, a peanut butter gelato, I mean. One of their peanut butter things. And um, the ice book, I don't remember what it was, but I just remember just being so blown away at how good it tasted that I knew we had, that's uh, so where I needed to be going towards. And at that point, I hadn't like started my grow up inside the condo yet. I had just like, I think I just decided that I was moving essentially. So it was like all at that same time. Yeah, it's cool. It all kind of came together. So a question about rosin. You want to show how accessible it is for like a common person yes. to be able to grow for themselves at home, inside, be able to process the material without necessarily a cold room. But like you said, you're not necessarily producing like six star melt. Mm-hmm. So if rosin wasn't a thing, would that prevent you from pursuing solventless at home that would have been yeah i think because i was into rosin before i really knew what water hash was and i think that's for most people because it's like much headier water hash is much headier so i had already made i had made like trim water hash but i didn't think of it as like melts because i didn't know i think i don't i still don't think i've really been truly introduced to it other than the 710 labs of what i tried there like but no i never had like a an og be like oh here's some fucking melt this is what this is like i have no clue so i only know what i can know from 710 labs and the bit that I've made. And it seems like, I mean, I don't know what the, like the six star scale is like, who knows what the fuck it all means. Right? <laughs> right. So, so uh, who knows what the fuck I make, but I just see it as if you can, if you can put it in some parchment and then like heat it with your fingers and make a flag that's translucent, that's pretty good. And that's what my shit does that. But I just don't think it, I, I just don't think at least the cultivars that I've had tasted as fire as they did as rosin. That, I see, yeah. That's what I'm getting at. But to your question, I think that the idea of rosin is what made me go so hard because it was so cool. It was like, oh, you could squish these flowers and make this rosin and you could squish this trim hash and make this rosin. And so just squishing the, the fire water hash was just the next step to me. So it wasn't, it wasn't really about making the fire water hash for me. It never was. Right. And, um, and I appreciate it because I do think that there's a much different high and it's way more uplifting and light. That's how I describe it. And it's just so fucking hard to handle. That's just mainly the thing. It's so hard to handle and... I like to be able to just grab a jar that's left on my table. And you can still, you can do that with water hash too, but it's just like, it's so nice when it's in that fucking pristine form. Right. And, uh, and 710 labs does a fucking sick job. Like when you're on the list, they deliver the shit to you and you get it and it's sandy. So like, that's fucking sick, man. And like, I can do that cause I grow my shit, but even still, I'm not, I'm not a master. So I'm like, I have this big jar of like loose heads when can I open it? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, this, just fucking, I don't know, this is no clue, dude. So I'm just like, it's just so much easier to have fucking shit that you can just open. That's the, ultimately why cold cure is, is like most popular because uh, you don't have to worry about fucking getting like, unless the, your processor's not handling the shit right, but you don't have to worry about getting like sparks from water condensation in there. That's the worst. 
That's the worst is getting that. And you only get that because you're putting your shit in the freezer. So I have te- some text that I use is I'll put a jar inside of a mason jar and put that in the freezer. And then when you take it out, wait for that mason jar, outer mason jar to be completely dry. And then you can open it. And so that's like, and that's just like me being an idiot and thinking I'm doing smart stuff. And that's about the best I can do. And otherwise I just like to make sure cold care and use that little turp cooler or just leave it on my counter. I usually put it in the turp cooler at night and then take it out in the day. And if I'm smoking on it, it'll just be out all day. That's how I usually, how I usually run. Cool. Well, speaking of smoking, you down for a second. Smoke. Oh yes, that's definitely. All right, cool. Shout out to our main sponsor, Rosin Evolution, the best bags in the game, who you can visit on Instagram at Evolution 100 They've been instrumental in supporting the platform the last few years, and it's honestly been such a pleasure working with the great people that make up Rosin Evolution. Their products speak for themselves. Their rosin bags are trusted by folks all over the nation, from small batch to large production settings. They're incredibly professional in their customer service, including getting you the gear that you need when you need it. So whether you're washing hash or pressing it, you can find everything that you need to make rosin at rosinevolution.com. And if you use our savings code, the letters THI, the number 710, that's THI710, saves you 5% on your entire order at rosinevolution.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. So let's talk a little bit more about rosin. Yes. Because you used a bunch of different consistencies. You kind of played around with this phenol hunt mm-hmm. outside of growing these plants, finding them, selecting them. You also did a lot of stuff with the rosin. So tell us a little bit about that. So this is where I'll shout out again to Ganja Gill. He gave me some nice tips about doing cold curing. And another misconception I'd like to address now is that a lot of people think that cold curing means it's in the cold. And the and this is just from my perspective of what I believe is correct. But the warm curing was the jar tech and making diamonds with Rosin Ryan created or showed everybody. And that would you call that warm curing or because it's in an oven. And so cold curing was just the opposite of that. It was just not in an oven. So it doesn't necessarily mean it's in the cold. In fact, it seems the colder you go, the longer the cure takes. And so what we found is like, 70 like high 60s close to 70 degrees is like which is around room temperature for a lot of people that for like seven days seems to give you if you put it in a jar it seems to to give you like a little turp layer that you've that you've seen and i've tried to get it never got it another part of that is that the amount of oxygen in the jar so if you have a jar that's filled to the brim you're much more likely to get a turp layer in that because there's no room for the turps to off gas and evaporate so they just accumulate at the top in a liquid layer and so that was another thing that I learned with my phenol hunt was I had all these jars and I had different amounts for plant per plant just because they were different weights and they yielded different numbers so one jar may have had nine grams in it a one ounce jar with nine grams so there's like 80 percent headroom and then number uh, there was another one that yielded 28 grams or 30 grams and there was like 10% headroom. And that one and that one had a big turp layer and the one on the bottom had none at all. And so that's because there wasn't enough if if that if there was less air lo- air space in that smaller amount jar, it could have got something. But it doesn't necessarily mean it would have been a layer. It would have just been a like a sheeny top as opposed to what it was, just a dry mound. It just it was it wasn't really shining like that. And 
that's the idea is that as you scale up in the amount that you're curing, that sheen turns into a liquid layer. And that's basically when you have like a little jar of hash and it has sheen on top, that's just a terp layer. And if you have a big jar of it and you let it sit for seven days, there's going to be a, a, a literal liquid terp layer on top of it. And the thing that Gil told me was, and he said he credits it to West Coast Alchemy, that if you put this into a cold space, he said around, I think he said around 40 degrees, which that I don't, I don't have a 40 degree thing. So I haven't been able to test this. But you put, after you've gotten this turp layer, you put it in this cold spot for another couple of days and until the turp layer goes away. And apparently it, it basically submerges back into the rosin and it makes it much easier to whip. Because anyone who's cured a lot of rosin knows that it's like it's super hard when the when the terps are out of it, and it's like hard to whip, and it's a lot of work. And so, I see in a post about it. He said the idea is to slowly work the terps back into the rosin, like without having to touch it. And so, from what I'm learning, and I haven't done it yet, but is for everybody to try. After you get that terp layer, you put it in a cold space until the terp layer goes away, and then whip it and see how that goes for you. So that's what that's what I want to do next, but I don't have. Like I have a little turp cooler, but that I don't. I haven't even tried, but I don't think it goes down to forty. So, is a fridge forty? I guess I got to look into it. Yeah, I'm not sure. And then with those, maybe with the condensation. Yeah, exactly. So, I, so it's still to be tested. What I did do was have all my jars. I put them in Ziploc baggies, and it's interesting because those Ziploc baggies eventually will have like air resistance. It's like the, it's like you can feel that something has been expanding inside the jar and seeping a little bit through the jar glass. And so I have them all in baggies labeled what they all are. And I have them in a, a cardboard box with a, essentially it's like a heat pad for the clones and I have it set to 72 degrees. And then I just have that in the bottom of the box and I have a raised shelf with all the jars on there. And so it's basically just 70 degrees in there. They're not touching, they're not directly on top of the heat mat. And after a week, there was a turp layer there. Then the best in the latest development in my tech. And that was, that was all handed to me from ganja gill but that produced all these different consistencies of the of the different phenos and i think a lot of it has to do with the amount that i had and the amount of airspace the ones that had more rosin in the jar with less airspace were way wetter and were way more like like sorbet and like like really cool and then the ones that were had low amount of rosin and then with a lot of airspace those were drier if i didn't have nine grams i would have put it in a calyx jar because calyx tops out at seven and I, if I was smart, I would have put four in one and three in another, but I wasn't smart. And so, uh, and you just learn. That's how it, So like whenever you're, if you're, if you have a smaller amount of rosin that you need to cure, just get it in the smallest vessel you can. That's just going to be better off because the more air you have, the drier it'll be. And then you just get fucked. Like the, the ones that had the low rosin were never wet. It was real tough to like whip them because they just lost so much moisture in that, in that jar. Let's talk about a point where I feel like your design Starts so kind of merging with their cannabis. Yes, is you you use molds to create kind of a, a shape or a representation of your logo in rosin form. Yeah, that was something a long time coming when when I designed my logo to begin with. So I knew that I had it had to be black and white because I print on this. It's like a Dymo four XL printer. Is another question I get all the time. What printer do I use? The Dymo 4XL, it's a label printer. So if you were like shipping something for eBay, you might print on one of these. And it's a four by six label. And it uses heat and not ink. So you never have to buy ink for it. But that also means it's not ink. So, so it's literally just a heat on sticker that makes the graphic. And like 
if you were to touch it with like an iron, it would just burn away. So like, it's not really a, a, a sticker. It's quite literally a shipping label. But I knew that if I designed something that looks really clean, printed out in that thing looks really nice and it's not that big a deal. And I knew I would need a lot of stickers, but I wouldn't want to be able to, I wouldn't have to, if I had to pay for them, it would just be way too much. And like with the amount that I need and the little labels and all the different phenos and all that. So that was built into my design was like, I, it has to be two colors and it has to be black and white. And so that was from the get go. I was just, as I was saying, like the insp- inspiration behind it is like Willy Wonka, the, the whimsical f- nature of that movie and Beetlejuice and just like that, that also weird vibe and the black and white striped suit. And then also Alice in Wonderland, and like the Cheshire cat, the tail and kind of all those just fun. Yeah. Like I said, whimsical vibes, but then presented in a really clean professional way. It's just a sick juxtaposition that I think people really like. And then I added in all the text in this font. That's like, it's like a 2000 Z font and I'm actually seeing it. It sucks because I, it's popped up a lot more after I started using it. And I may, I may even may, I may have been subconsciously inspired by someone else that used it too. But as we talked about, I came up doing like nineties inspired designs and stuff like that, because that was, was, was really in, in 2010 up until 2020. And now it's moving on to the two thousands, just like the way the seventies and eighties, it's like all, all goes in cycles. And so now we're in the two thousands. So these fonts from 2000 are like really resonating with people. And so that, it just it hit me as well. So it wasn't, I didn't do that purposely, but then I found out later, I'm like, oh shit, I'm like starting to see more brands use fonts like this. And I, it made me feel bad, but I didn't give a shit because like, my shit, it just looks really good together. But uh, doing that, that's part of that creative outlet is like, what if I had my own hash brand? What would it be? And that's really the driving force behind all the labels because I could just write what the strain is with the marker on top and know that. But like being who I am, I want to see some nice jars and I don't necessarily think all the jars out there are that sick. So if I want to put my money where my mouth is, then I got to show and prove. And so that's all that is. And it is sick. Like I love seeing that like vacuum pack bag full of all the C's. It's like, Oh my God, it makes you want to fucking smoke it. And I love that. I, I have so much fun figuring that out. And you can see even just between like these two, I switched between those two, I switched like the colors between the black and the white because I felt like, you know, this is different here. And when you're doing my own, my own little labels, I can do whatever I want. I'm not like restricted to something I created before that. We just made, we made too many of these. We got to use them and type of thing. I can just do what I want every time. I have so much fun doing it. Yeah, that's cool, man. And it's like extended now into like this Fino pack hunt that you did. So tell us a little bit about some of them tears because I know you made a post recently. Yeah, so... I was inspired by 710 Labs. I was a big supporter of 710 Labs. I mean, I'll say was. I am a big supporter of 710 Labs, but I was more so when I had no hash on my own. So I was, what I was buying was from the list. And eventually they did a Fino Hunt pack. And I still have it. I still I never even partook. I just took it as like an archival piece. I'm like, man, this is so cool. Like a Fino pack. What an awesome idea. So I took that idea and that was like my next thing. I was like, you know, if I'm doing this Fino Hunt, I should make a Fino Hunt pack what would that be like? And I think I, I mostly just kind of used what I could get. So, you know, I went online and found a box that worked that would fit my mood mat. Cause I already had the mood mat made. Cause those were a big lead time too. Those were like 13 or 14 weeks lead time. So I ordered those back in like August and I was planning on doing a merch drop because a lot of people ask me to make merch and I kind of don't like doing it. I just kind of feel like there's enough merch on out there and I don't want to keep creating more, but 
people really like it. You know, I it could use some money sometimes too. So it's like, <clears throat> you know, it's just like it worked out that way. I made a bunch of sweatshirts because people really wanted them. And I love that sweatshirt I made, but yeah, it was expensive to make. And it's just a lot of work for me to have to have inventory, take orders, ship them all out while doing everything else that I do. So it just becomes a lot. And that's mostly why I don't do it. But with the Fino Hunt pack, I just was like, man, what, what could I do? And all I really did was take a foam block and cut out some shapes to, to form the, the jars in. I got to also have to shout out to Calix containers because they've been supplying me with the jars ever since the beginning. So like, let's say I wouldn't be here without them, but it's just like that nice ass jar is sweet. And I didn't have to pay for them this whole time. And that's another, that's like, that's one big hurdle that I don't have to pay for. The main thing people say to me is like, I made all those jars, but they're so expensive. So I haven't had to pay for them. So that's been like really huge. How did that relationship come to be? So I have a friend of mine. Well, yeah, I call him my friend, but it's funny because when we met, I was like a camp counselor and he was a camper. And, but he was also a fan of that brand that I had started way back major look. And he would got all his friends into it. And like his friends, like in college would like wait for the drops and they would get all the shit. And it was just like really cool. He's a really big supporter of mine. He just happened to get a job at Calix. And he was like, he was the, the first like hired employee for other than like the owners of the company. And so he's just been there since the jump. So when I was making my first BHO, I don't know if we've talked about this yet, but I made BHO, for, or I think I maybe did. When I first made BHO, he contacted me and was like, hey, I work for this jar company. Can we send you some samples? I'm like, oh, dude, totally. And it was Calix jars. And it was the first ones they made with the little like ice translucent top and the blue. And it was like, it was pretty like, cheesy looking at that point and now they've, they've elevated it since then so I've been there since the very beginning and so he always told me whenever you need jars just let me know because they understood the value of the visual you just need people just need to start seeing these jars all the time and this, so that they become the jar and that makes people want to be like well I can't get any other jar than this because that's the one everyone uses that's the goal right so they understood that and even though I wasn't anybody I didn't even have a cannabis page he was doing it on his on his own like just to help out with the company just like getting it out there and now that I have a, a better platform, they've reached out to be like, hey, whatever, whatever kind of ideas you can think of, if you, if you want to do some stuff, just let us know. We'll, we're open to working with you. So like, it's gotten to that point, which is sick. Yeah, it's cool. And it's a, definitely a nice perk. Uh, it's so huge. It's so huge. It's a single source. Because they're, they're expensive jars. And if you're a hobbyist grower, you're not going like, to, you, you're fucking, you're just scrimping just to get the grow done and just to get the hash made. You're like, oh man, I just made it out alive. I don't have money for nice ass jars. So it's, it's been huge to have that because that's just something that it elevates my brand and I didn't have to go into my pockets to do it. So it's huge. So shout out to those guys and Pat. So let's shift topics a little bit. We talked about tents earlier. Mm-hmm. I've seen you, it's either on Instagram or on YouTube. You go into how you went into deciding what tents to buy. Yes. I feel like you made some good points. So... Can you break down how you decide where to start and how that might grow? Yes. So my recommend now, I, when I started, I had like a, it was like I said, it's a weird size. It was like two and a half feet by four feet. But what I recommend now is if you can fit it, a four by four is just a great size to, to, to grow into because you can grow one plant in there, two, three plants in there with a bunch of room around them and just like learn how to grow a plant and you'll have a nice space to do it in. When you do it in something smaller, you feel more cramped and, and the plants, the plants are big and 
they grow out and they, and especially as a new grower, you might feel overwhelmed because like, oh my God, I have no space. You know, I don't know how to train yet. I don't know how to prune. And so having a bigger space, a four by four is great. And then eventually you can pull, if, if you had all your druthers and everything, you could pull like 50 grams of like fire hash out of that. Like I said, cause I, I pulled like 100 out of my four by eight. So if right. you get 50 grams, that's like almost two ounces. That's like three grand right there. You could just put it in your pocket and like, <laughs> right. you know, walk away. Or smoke. Exactly. And so, and that's, I mean, that's if you can, that's if you have all the stuff and you can do it right. But that's the ultimate thing is that four by four, you can do a decent amount of damage in there with like, with just uh, four plants that you grow out really nicely and um, you get some washers and you don't even get air, you can air dry it. You'll still get an awesome yield and it'll still be great. Talk to me a little bit about the freeze dryer because it seems to be a tool that definitely has been useful for you. Mm-hmm. Although you had that long wait. Yes. Like once you got it, you, I think you said something along the lines of it's kind of almost foolproof for. Yes. Yeah. To me, I, th- I think you need it. And, 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 and I don't mean that you can't make hash without it, but once you've made hash without it and then you've used it, you're like, well, I mean, I'm, I, I know, I know simply Adam, he's like, he does, he's the king of that shit. And I, I applaud him for it. But once you, if, if you're not going that hard, cause he goes pretty hard, he's a really knowledgeable dude. And he's like, knows, and he's, put that time in to earn that. And if you don't have that time because you're like, man, I'm just trying to get some hash, it's having the freeze dryer is just, I mean, I guess your electricity could fail or like the machine could fail. I mean, we see a lot of the hash, big hash makers always talking shit about them because they run those shits every fucking day. And so in multiple, so like eventually you're going to have some shit. So, and I get why they're pissed, but for me running it seasonally, I haven't run into any issues, but there is a lot to the harvest right thing where they, they just made this home unit for a while and that's what everyone was using. And then they found out that hash makers are using it. So they made a pharmaceutical version, which costs just like, it's like 500 more dollars and it has a lot more options and like stuff like almost like to me is more confusing because I just want to be able to drive the hash. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so I, I, and at the time that I bought it, they had the pharmaceutical, but I bought the home version and at that time, the firmware allowed you to dry hash. And what that means is you can drop it down to 30, 40, 30, 20 degrees. But now if you buy a home unit, it stops at like 70. And you just, and like the machine can go lower, but the firmware doesn't allow you to go. Like once you keep it down, it stops going down type of thing. And they did that so that they would make the hash makers buy the pharmaceutical. And so the workaround has been someone sent me the old firmware and I was able, I've been able to send it to other people who have the, the home unit and then they can do it. But the only issue is that now if you have a problem with your unit and you go to Harvest Right, they're going to have you update your firmware right away. And so, I mean, they might fix your shit. You just have to go back again. But like, it's, you're never going to be able to be copacetic with them because you're using some old firmware that is a hack. But 500 bucks, I guess, just get the pharmaceutical, I guess. I don't know. It's expensive as hell. Uh, I used my, that first really big check that they gave us. What was it called? The stimulus? I use that to get my freeze dryer. So that was the huge, I mean, that was just the right place, right time. I needed it. 2000 bucks came in. The, I think the thing cost 2,600. So it was like no big deal for me. I just did it. <laughs> no, yeah, that's a convenient. Thing. It was, yeah, it was, it really was. It really was. So how often are you washing? Because you mentioned, you know, being in a smaller space, you don't get to do it that often. Nope. So how often are you washing? And so, after a harvest, depending on what you did. So back when I did Chem D, I, and we were washing in the coolers, but we still, 
all that got washed together technically. And so that's one time, right? And so depending on how many strains you have, that's how many you got and how many times you'll have to wash. It's just not often. And so and that's the main reason why people can't justify the freeze dryer purchase. It's because they're not using it every day. They're using it like two times, maybe three times a year. But the way I looked at it was, you know, like an ounce of rosin is like 1400 bucks. You're going to, if you grow enough plants to get more than an ounce, that freeze dryer is paid for already in that first use. That very first one is already paid for. But most people aren't buying ounces, though. They just buy them like a gram or two at a time. And so it's still tough to do that. And so I understand that. But that, that's the way that I justified it. And that ever since I got it, I haven't had to look back. And, that, and now I wash for other people because I have the freeze dryer. So it, it'll turn into something bigger. If you're, if you're that serious where you get a freeze dryer, it's going to turn into something bigger. Uh, if there's anyone around you at all into cannabis. And plus, you can make some sick hiker meals, too. Yeah, and it's funny. Yeah, we were talking about the fact that you started processing because you didn't necessarily want to give up that 20%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whoever was processing for you. And then yeah. you become the... Yeah, now I'm, now I'm doing it, dude. Now I'm the guy being like, eh, 20%, yeah. all right? And, and that's the thing. I understand that that's a lot. And so that's what deterred me, yeah. So it was like, it was a friendly rate. I thought, I think 20% is very friendly and fair. But I just started adding up and I'm like... I can't do it. I, I got to just do it on my own and bite the bullet. And I, I do not regret that whatsoever. Not at all. Especially because like, even if I wanted to air dry here, like where would I put all the cardboard and shit? You know, it's just, there's just not much space around. It's every, that freeze dryer is, is tucked in where my, like my AC like unit thing is in like a closet. So it's out of the way. It's out of the mind. And a lot of people ask about sound on the freeze dryer. How bad is it? And so I have mine in my laundry room and when I have all the doors closed and everything and I'm sitting in my living room, I can hear a slight hum. And when I go to, when I go to bed, I can't hear shit because if you have the freeze dryer, then you got a bedroom grow and the bedroom blow fan is wicked loud. And <laughs> I love that shit. I fucking, cause you can't hear shit. So I love it. So yeah, you can't hear it. You basically can't really hear it. It's not, it's loud enough where it's not making no noise, but it's not like you can't have one and your neighbors are going to hear it. For sure. I mean, if you put it near, if you have thin walls and it's next to it, they're probably going to hear it. But mine's in the center of my condo in the laundry room where like this noise is made. So it's not a big deal. Yeah, that's another interesting aspect that we haven't talked about is part of your grow or one of your tents is in your room, Mm -hmm. like literally next to your bed. Mm -hmm. So is that a challenge? Yeah. So it's funny. I. I have a story when I, when I first started growing, I had the, those purple grow lights. Like I feel like a lot of people start out with those because they don't know any better. And so, and then my central AC at the time in the Valley was out. So it was just like a hundred degrees in the house. It was so hot. And so I had to sleep with the tent doors open and just the pink light, just like in my, and I slept, <laughs> I slept in pink light for like two weeks. Because that was the only way the tent wasn't going to be like 100 degrees inside because it was like so hot from the light and then being enclosed. Just just having the zippers and then everything closed gets very hot in there. Even just leaving like before you were here, I had my doors just kind of open just to kind of let heat out because, you know, it's just good. They get hot in there. When you're growing in a condo or indoor and you're just a hobbyist, you don't have ideal things. You, know, you, can't, you can't go over to like a wall with all the switches and fucking make sure all this is right. You just do what you can do and you try to make it the best, but sleeping next to a tent is, is fine for me. Like that was like the worst thing I ever had to do. And that was like a sacrifice I just made, but I like the hum and uh, my girlfriend likes it too. Like, it's just like a, 
at almost at one point I stopped growing for a little bit and I had silence and I was like, oh, this is really weird. I mean, I, so I put on a fan so I could fall asleep. So you get used to it. It's very, it's very like white noisy type sound. Another question I get is about smell. Does it smell? Growers know that in veg, it doesn't really smell. It's the flowers that smell. And you typically, even during like veg, I think a lot of people use it, but you have, you can have a, a carbon filter on your tent and that will filter out the smell for the most part. I can't, I can't, I, I, only reason I can't, I say that is because I live next to a bunch of restaurants. So like no one will be able to smell anything anyway, because it's just so restauranty. And my last grow, I didn't use, but when I used to grow outside or I mean up in the Valley, I didn't use a filter and it smelled like fucking hella weed outside my, outside my window where I grew, but it didn't matter because it was the Valley. So like, I just didn't use a carbon filter, but now that I'm using one, you can't smell the flowers until you open up the the, the tent. So like in, in like week eight, you'll go in there. You won't be able to smell anything because I use like this eight inch carbon filter that just fucking does work. And it's sick. So as long as you get a really good carbon filter, like a, just get a fucking fatty one if you're really worried about it and you'll be fine. And only need it during flower. So like I have two tents, one's veg, one's flower. I only have the carbon filter in the flower tent. And what's the ideal... Temperature inside the tent? I think basically if you can, like around 70 degrees, 70, 72, 75 maybe. But mine's usually around like 80. Humidity, you want it to be in like 60s. And mine's right now is like 45, 50. So yeah, I can't get an ideal. But that's the thing. You don't need, like ideal is awesome. And we're always striving for it. I'm not trying to say don't strive to be the best. Because always, always strive to be the best. And always strive to outdo what you last did. And uh, never settle. But if you can't achieve the ultimate, it's not, it's not, it shouldn't be the deterrent, you know, it just should be just another hurdle for you to get over in the future. Good. Starting out with a four by four tent. Cause you can, yeah, eventually you can grow to pull in 50 grams if you just have a four by four tent. But once you get into the four by eight area, I'm now learning that if you can get a five by 10, that would be, that's, that's where I, what I'm learning now because, and the only reason I say that is because they sell these like, drain trays that are you probably see them all the time in people's grows like they're white or black and i have them in my mind but mine are weird shapes and they're discontinued so you can't get them but if you get the four by four drain trays they don't fit in a four by four tent they're they're like the exact footprint so it just makes your tent be like jutting out almost probably wants to rip type of thing and so you got to get like six inches leeway and so if you get a five by ten then you can do two four by four trays and your, your grow will be so clean and you'll have a nice, it'll just be fucking awesome. And so I wish I, I wish I had that. If I did have a five by 10 in there though, it would probably be too big. So like if you can fit it, five by 10 is like the next step that I would go from a four by four. But uh, otherwise four by eight is pretty nice. And then you use that four by four, your old four by four as the veg tent. Because typically you kind of want to have roughly twice the size of your flower tent as your veg. And when you're starting out, you'll just have the one tent and you'll just do the one round. You'll go grow, grow some plants and then you'll harvest them and you'll be like, oh man, that was fun. I'm going to do it again. And then you'll, maybe you might start cloning or something, but eventually you grow to a second tent. And then that's when you want to get, you want to get twice the size that you started with. And if you start with like a two by four, then move to a four by four, you're not going to be happy. You're going to, you're going to desire much more of a yield than a, a four by four will give you after learning it all. So I think a four by four is good to start. And I'm curious, was there a direct correlation between doubling the space and the yield doubling? The, the correlation is that your plants typically double in size when they go into flower. 
So if you have a space where you can grow comfortably four plants, if you put them in flower, they're going to start to really get bushy in there. So if you, you grow them into a four by eight, then you can, they'll have a much ample room to grow into much bigger plants. But also I'm saying having that extra room, whether you're growing more plants or bigger plants, have you seen that that translates into double the amount of resin? Oh yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not double the amount of resin, but yeah. So like I found that in my four by four, I was getting around 2000 grams of hash. Uh, I mean, 2000 grams of wet weight, wet weight. And now that I'm growing uh, in this four by eight, I'm getting a little, I'm getting, I'm getting more than that because I got new lights when I, from when I did the last test, but I got around like 5,000 grams. So it was more than double, double the plus a little bit. Right. And it's cause I doubled the space, but even still within that, some of my plants were smaller than the others. And like, it's all very much how you're growing it and stuff like that. And I try to maximize my space where I have like that thing. I say like substantial weight bearing branches only because you only have so much space indoors and the little scrawny bud, the scrawny ones don't really hold the, the best weight buds. So they, like, they don't hold themselves up and then they just can't take it in all, take it all in as the others can. So I try to maximize how many branches I have that are substantial. And what I mean by that is like kind of looks like a pencil, you know, which is not, not something really thin and wiry and using the net trellis to do that is like a key, which is, one of the things that growers know how to use, but when I was learning how to do it, so weird, so hard to understand. I didn't do it right the first time. And I think it's one of the, I think, I think it's one of the hardest things to learn as a hobbyist grower with no help and no one to actually like hand hold you and show you what the fuck is going on. Because there's this fear that you're going to do something wrong. That's the first thing. And then not knowing what's going to happen just compounds that fear because you're like, Oh shit, I don't know. And I don't know what's going to happen. So it just makes it tough to do the amount because the amount of you need to do is like a lot and you got to keep doing it. And, and so it, usually your first time you just don't trim enough. You don't defoliate enough. And that's what I've learned. I just keep defoliating so that I have these branches that are fully in the light and they're ready to just take in the, uh, all the, the light that I'm putting out from the LEDs for eight weeks. Once I'm ready, once I flip the flower. Are you always running them through the trellis? Or the- yeah, so like right now I'm, I haven't because I've been I've been slacking. But yeah, the trellis is it just helps to even out the branches so that you have like even they call it canopy, and the canopy is much easier to fill in if you have these branches spread out into a little grid. At least because because the thing is, if your plants are outside and like a maybe not in a natural state, but like if you're if you're growing plants and you have an ample room around each plant, the sun comes over top. And it comes and it comes from the side and it goes over top and it goes to the right side. So technically all sides of the plant are getting some good light. Whereas in a tent, you just have a, a, a static light coming down from the top. And so anything that's not underneath, anything that's getting covered up by that, it's getting covered up by that every day of every second and never really getting full light. And that's why I say that substantial weight bearing branches and the defoliation, you got to pull off all the fan leaves that are covering up where the buds are because on an indoor grow, with LEDs especially because the, the LEDs don't penetrate down. They do, once they get, once they hit the leaf, they stop. And I learned that the hard way because I didn't defoliate at all. And my buddy Husky Brusky, he came over and was like, dude, you got to take these leaves off. And when I took them off, all the buds underneath were like lime green and yellow and like underdeveloped as fuck. And everything that wasn't was like purple and wicked good. And I'm like, Oh my God, it just like, it blew my mind. I still didn't really, 
you know, it took a while to master it. I still want to master it, but like now I understand it and what I'm doing. And it's still every day. I'm still like, it takes me a while to defoliate because I don't, I'm, I'm still learning and I don't know what I'm like, Oh, I don't want to cut off the wrong branch and all this shit. So it takes a little while and you have to do a lot of it. And when you're new and learning, it's, it's like, you can't even know how much you have to do because you're so scared. Right. Yeah. And another thing, speaking of being scared that you do because of the tent setting mostly is the super cropping. Yep. So can you give it just a quick layman's? Yeah. So I think someone else was talking about super cropping today too. And I, I don't, uh, well, the technicality of what the different things are, but what I do is I top the plants, which is definitely a, a way of cropping it. And once you top a plant, you just cut it, you cut it and it grows into two. And I do that. T- and you cut that main stem. You right? cut the main branch. Yep. And then basically where, where you cut it below, below that cut, wherever the two branches were, those become the new main branches. Typically you'll do that one more time. So that way you get four main branches and then just let other branches come up off of that. And I do, I say that because you can do it as many times as you want, but I do that because I like to have that even number of four. And every time you, top a plant you have to let it recover so the more times you top the longer you have to veg so i've seen like some sick plants that have like they go up and they call it a manifold and it goes up and then it's like eight head like eight really but that took that didn't just take fucking four weeks to do you know it takes a while and so again back to the idea that everyone kind of just wants to get it right now what can i get that's not as popular uh to do like that many heads but like doing it once as it's growing up and then doing it again a couple weeks later or even a week later, that can do huge numbers for you just to getting more branches by the time we hit flower. And uh, I've, I haven't done it, but I've been just re- recommended to top right before you go to flower. So you can just top it and then go, and then you'll get like that much more, that many more branches. I haven't done it, but you, you can't be afraid to try stuff. That's the, that's the whole key. And, and, and I understand why people are, because it's precious resources you're putting into this, and you don't want to be uh, let out in the end. And I get that. So, but that's just kind of the way the game is. Yeah. And the topping, I guess, in this case also works because instead of having like this main cola, like you're saying, you're creating all these different points or these different smaller bud sites. And then I guess that really plays in well with the trellis. Yes. Right. And so you're able to keep things almost like at a flat Mm -hmm. or steady surface where you're getting, like you said, this more like one dimensional direction. Yeah. You can kind of control you can kind of control the height of the canopy. Whereas if you looked in my tent now, you can see some on the right are way taller than some on the left. If you were working it at the correctly as you underneath that tent, as it was net, uh, as it was going, you could make it so that it was always going to be the same height. And so now I'm going to have to ant- like do work to get it to be that. And I might have to chop some a little bit, but that, but like I said, I have to be down to experiment and cutting before I go to flower. Cause it, they're just too tall. And what am I going to do? And this is how I learn. And, you've got to embrace that. And that's something that I didn't embrace early on. And that's why I like wanted to quit at one point. Cause I'm like, man, I, I can't grow the flower that I want to go into the dispensary and buy. So what's the fucking point of growing it? I really, that's how I felt. Cause I really, I, I want to create something that's fucking great. And if I can't, I kind of, am just like, what am I doing this for? And that's when I got those chem D cuts and I was like, Oh man, this is pretty great. But I didn't find, and I, I thought it was pretty great, but I didn't realize yeah, I didn't find this. This wasn't really, you know? And so now I'm on that path. Cool, man. Yeah. Well, Curtis, I appreciate you hanging out with me. I know we've been hanging out for a while. I'll start winding it down. Cool. You are one of the first people, if not the first person, that I've seen do the engraving on the calyx jars. 
So tell me about that a little bit. Yeah, so uh, I, I think Calyx did some engraving on jars on the side. I saw they did it at Expo. But yeah, I did it on the bottom of the Calyx jars. And I had it sandblasted by this dude, uh, young dude named Boroblaster. And he did it on the bottom reverse of the jar. So that way, when you open up the jar and you look inside, my logo is on the bottom. And I put that in conjunction with my molds that I, I initially used the molds to make Jolly Rancher, resin, like rosin Jolly Ranchers. So good. Love those. And then I was like, oh, man, I can put the, I can put the rosin in it, too. And I didn't know if it was going to work. But I'd seen people do molds before. I saw um, Simpson Sovelis. He was doing molds for a while. So I'm like, he's, I mean, I didn't know how he did it, but I just could assume. And so I put it in the mold, put it in the freezer. And uh, you got you to, gotta, that, that part, I've learned a lot. You got to keep that shit cold and you got to work in the cold. So I work in, inside the freezer. I put up a little makeshift shelf inside my freezer. And that's where I work just to pop out the things and put them in the jar. And so far, like I haven't had any issue with like condensation or anything. It's, it's, I mean, I'm just kind of doing it and trying to work it out as I go, but I also know for sure I can't have you dabbing it and then it, and it have sparks. So uh, that doesn't happen. So that's pretty sweet. And yeah, so the engraving on the jar is the same size as the mold that I use. And so the hash rosin is in the mold of my logo, sits right on top of that logo on the bottom of the jar. And so in theory, as you dab through, you'll see it. The reality is, it's it gets pretty hashy on the bottom, so you can't really see it until you clean it out. But it's <laughs> right. fucking the, the the idea is there, and I'm I'm trying, man. I'm trying. No, it looks cool <laughs> though. I, I I think it looks good, man. I'm usually not like super keen on a lot of decoration, but I like your style. I think it's clean, like you said. Even from simple decisions like the black and white. Yes. You know, I, I think a lot of it just like works well together. So it's cool to see you continuously experiment with your packaging. Thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very proud of it. And yeah, I'm most proud of it just because that original, that C is just nowhere. It just came out of nowhere. So I love that. So I'm curious on that note, you know, you do this as a hobby. I, I love your saying, everybody says not for sale, but yours is always for fun. Mm-hmm. And you're almost like experimenting what it'd be like to have a brand. Yes. But in some weird way, it's also become a brand. Right. And there's people who follow you and people who like want to try your stuff. So what happens from here? That's a good question. That's um, ever since I finished this uh, Fino Hunt pack, we had such a crazy reception to it. I say we because my buddy George, me and him are just the team. We've been like, he's the one I said I watched with first. So the Husky Brusky. So I feel like just me and him are, we're a team and anything that happens to him or me, it's like good for us both. And so I just had, we just had such a great response to that, that we're like, man, we got to take this to another level. We can't, I mean, we can't just do this as a hobby if, if it's going to be like this, you know, it's, and part of that is because I recognize that, you know, so many people would dream to have a little momentum that I have right now. And it's like, you can do something with that. And it's not even like about a, a capitalization, but it's just like, if I, I really love doing this. So if I can do it, if I can somehow keep my job designing and then also have like a, we, we're, we're in the talks. We're like, we got to figure out how we can get a farm and just start doing this and uh, just take it to the next level. And so that's what we're hoping for. I don't know when that'll happen. That's kind of the energy we got. So, yeah. And one of the things I wanted to mention about the rosin and the molds is it really seems to depend on like the texture or the moistness of the rosin and how even like the logo looks 
because some of them it's like pristine mm -hmm. and then another one kind of gets a little like it's crumbly or like murky. yeah yeah it's too wet mm -hmm. or, so it's interesting to see that as well yeah uh sometimes when it's in the mold if it's the really wet stuff i can like slap it on the table and it'll fill in but then on drier stuff i have to like actually mash and put it in and like one like one by one just put my dabber in there and kind of force it in gently and uh yeah the wetter ones they'll eventually you can see like if you turn if you turn it over on the jar you can see the shape lines up really clearly but those wetter ones will expand past the logo and they'll just be like a little turp layer around them and it's pretty cool <laughs> Since you puff on so much 710 Labs, what are your three top flavors from them? Ooh. Well, one that I have on special that I want you to taste after this podcast that I brought out from the freezer is the Chopped Cookies F2. It's, their pur it's the purple one that I made. I think mine's from like a year ago, probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 11, 18. So we're just over a year old now on that. And I love to bring that out because... No one, this is very rare to find that purple uh, purple resin. It's awesome. But some of the classic flavors they have, I love their Sunday Driver. It's, it's just so tasty and grapey and just so good. And Oh, and their Skittles. Like they have, they have a few Skittles. They have like a Z cubed, which is like a Skittles crossed with a Z something. And I love that. They, they, have, they have some nice Skittles crosses and uh, I'm totally into that. <laughs> no, that's cool, man. I haven't tried a lot of their gear. I do like their blueberry haze. Oh, I don't think I've had that. That's pretty good. And then I've tried also some lemon heads out of their local nice. or out of their Oakland facility. That's really good. So is that blueberry haze is a, is a sativa then, eh? I don't know anything about the genetics, but gotcha. from, from puffing on it, yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, well, yeah, I think just generally haze means sativa, I think. Yeah, generally, but, that, you know, that's, again, something that I was talking about uh, not true? No, I'm just saying like in the sense that sometimes the names can be a little deceiving. Yeah, true, yeah, yeah. You know, depending on Especially how now we know with the seeds, like what the fuck it could be anything. Exactly, right? Just an expression of difference. But yeah, typically you would, you would assume. That's awesome. I have to, I have to try that. So, although you're not like necessarily in the industry, how important do you see branding and brands being important to having success commercially as a hash company? I think it's, it was a fine line because it has to do with the resin first, but it seems like, and this is actually something that I took from, from real deal is that you could, you could have like really fire rosin, like you have an exclusive cut that you found, and you could have no branding and people will want that because you got that cut. It doesn't mean you can be on the legal market and all that stuff, but like that, there's that idea is that you, if you have that really fucking exclusive shit, then people are going to want your shit. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it looks like. But if you have just the run of the mill stuff, if you just like, you have like a, you know, some GMO and whatever, you could have really sick branding and people will fucking want that just as bad because they want that branding. So I'm trying to do a little bit of both. I want to try to find something that's really exclusive and fire, but also give a brand feeling that's like, I don't know, just to see that the, the product you're getting is as nice as it looks designed. And like, I really fucking want to get a high quality design. So I got to have a high quality hash inside of there to, to your question. I think, yeah, I think the, it's so hard for brands to not to market and not be like their marketing. 
that's like one thing that, cause I mean, I actually don't have hash to sell anyone. So like, but part of, if I did part of the reason why it's successful is because I don't try to tell, like I don't market it. Like it's a fucking product that people are marketing. I don't know. It's just, it's a weird thing. You can't, you try too hard and then you fuck up. And, <laughs> and so you have to try to not try too hard. And it's hard. It's weird because I fucking try so hard, right? With all, I, I hand cut every single label just so I can take some pictures of it and make it look like it's something real. So you can, you can try really hard, but it doesn't mean it has to look like you're trying hard. And that's the difference. So like, like 710 Labs, I think that they're fucking a really good example of just, they're trying hard, but it doesn't look like they're fucking trying hard. And, uh, you know, they do really, and they have their own vibe and like, it's a really like high end vibe. They're kind of owning that right now. I don't think there's really anyone who's trying to be in that same space that's like trying to be as heady and like into it, but they'll, they'll come along. They're really coming along. But I think finding your own unique lane, that's what you got to do. And so for me, it's like the condo grow. And so unfortunately that means that I actually don't grow enough terps for people to buy. <laughs> but, uh, but if that's the start of it and then it goes on to be something bigger and, you know, and the branding lives on, then it could be something. So that's an interesting point because let's say the condo grow is kind of what kicks it off. Mm -hmm. You build a brand, a following, mm -hmm. and then you change the formula completely. Right. Is it the same thing? I know. There is exactly. I think there is a, there is a portion of people who will say, oh, I want to see you go to that next level. So I don't care that you're not in the condo. Then those are the people who would say, "Yeah, like you're you're not doing it in the condo. It's not as it's not a small batch anymore." And yeah, that's but what we were saying. Mine's like nano batch. Like you can't, you, you know, you can't even get this shit, and uh, I can't even get this shit. <laughs> Favorite three hash companies outside of your own, oh, and I'm going to exclude Seven Ten Labs as well. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. It's I honestly say it's really tough because I haven't had so much hash. So because. I've had like okay, well, I've had trichedelics. Love that. I always see people raving about it, but I've had it and I've had it multiple times, and I really like it uh, from what I had. I've had the ice, real ice look that was really fucking good, and uh, I've had real deal resin. I love. He has tons of flavors, and I tried a, a handful when I was up there and when I hung out with him before. Other than that, I've had just some like other home growers resin that they've sent me. People who are doing stuff like me, where they have labels and stuff, but they're you know they're very small scale. But I haven't really tried that much because I've just been making it, been making it, and I guess I got to leave it at that. Like my buddy, like that I've mentioned many times, minuscule bit, Mike Greg. That's like my guy, and that's like what I mostly smoke on when I don't have anything left of my own because it's accessible to me. And a big thing for me was just as like a, a general user is like I don't hate the hassle of getting shit. So like it's it's a lot of hassle to get exclusive stuff, and so. I just kind of can't be bothered. And so <laughs> if it's easier to just get an ounce from him or whatever, it's just like, Oh, just do that, dude. You know, I'm not into no, no one's created a brand that I'm like, oh, I got to fucking put up the money for it. Cause, because I make it. So once you make it, you, you, you're no longer part of that. Like you appreciate it and you'll probably trade for it, but you're no longer really like spending up for shit. Although some people have said they would for mine, which I really respect. I'm like, wow, that's, pretty crazy because you make this shit and if you would want to buy it just to try it I must be doing something right you know because like they can't smell it <laughs> yeah yeah that's cool they just see you and social media yeah and, you know that's a whole other thing where you have that kind of connection like you said earlier where people I think do have this vibe of like kind of being your friend yeah <laughs> but at the same time you were telling me you're like in in real life I we're pretty private. Yeah, and, I, and like it's hard enough for my friends to get me to come hang out. So like, 
I appreciate when people want to see me and like meet up in session shit, but like, yeah, I, I wish I could session more with my, with my real friends that I, you know, I don't get to see enough. So like, <laughs> I, cause I'm, I'm just always doing some shit and I'm always on, on some sort of schedule. So, but yeah, but I try to answer all my DMS. Like I think a lot of times people always say like, Oh man, thanks for the response. Like, or a lot of times, like I didn't even expect you to reply. And, uh, I try to answer every single person because I that it's, I I when I text or when I DM someone I hope they answer too so I know how that is and uh, sometimes I take a lot of breaks from it because there's a fucking lot of people but I'll eventually get to you usually if I don't I'm sorry <laughs> yeah no I feel like I was saying the same thing like a lot of times it is a lot yeah but at the same time yeah you gotta treat people yeah we'll do how you want to be treated right yeah so. totally. Well, cool, man. Last question. Yes. If you could hear from someone on the podcast who hasn't been on the podcast, who would it be? Hmm. Dang. Oh, I don't even know. I wasn't, I, you caught me off guard with that one. You haven't had on Ganja Gill, right? Not yet. Oh, I, would, I mean, his, his voice is sick, too, so he's a fucking great candidate for it. He's, he's a, he has so many fucking gems. And uh, he just does it too. He just has like a little small girl that he just does fucking. Yeah, it's awesome. He would be my guy. He would be my vote. He's cool. how he's how he's how I got in. He helps me out. That'd be the one. Cool man. Well, I appreciate it again. I appreciate you and the hospitality and the tenders. Yeah, man. The dabs. Appreciate you coming by and trying out my wares. <laughs> yeah, of course. Man. <laughs> uh, if you want to follow Curtis, you can follow him on Instagram at Curtis Terps. Or his personal account at Curtis underscore Linden. Anything else you want to say before we sign off? Follow your passion, man. And if you get if you want if like you have any interest in this, just start with growing. Don't don't worry about the hash part because it's a lot to just jump right into all at once. And and growing the plant is like ninety five percent of it. And so if you can't do that, you're not going to be able to do the rest of it. So you got to do that first. And I highly recommend everyone listening to fucking plant that seed if you haven't yet cool man well i appreciate it and appreciate those listening and we'll catch you next time thanks guys thank you for listening to the hashish in if you'd like the podcast we'd love for you to subscribe rate and give us a review until next time